Happy Halloween, trick-or-treaters, dreamers, campers, and suspects. It's your boy, Michael Myers Rothman. And look, here's a fun fact for you. Today, December 20th, 2021, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is the 25th anniversary of Scream. So, here's what you should do. You should celebrate by going back and revisiting our three-hour season four premiere from earlier this year. But look, it's also the 47th anniversary of Bob Clark's Black Christmas, which I know all of you are watching this year. So to commemorate all of this and give you a nice, sweet holiday gift, we're unlocking our festive breakdown of, you guessed it, 2006's Black Christmas, which happens to be celebrating its 15th anniversary on December 25th. So I, I, look, I are you confused? I'm a little confused also, but don't worry. Just know you're getting a free episode from our Patreon, which we recorded way, way back in December of 2020. A nightmare Christmas. A nightmare before Christmas. This is the time before vaccines. How about that? Anyway, just think of this as a way of us saying thanks. And if you love this episode, which I know you will, you can get dozens more by becoming a member of our Patreon, The Rewind. You can find a link in the description of this episode, or you can go and visit www.patreon.com slash Halloweeniespod and become a member yourself right now. I mean, you get so many episodes. I'm talking Nightbreed. I'm talking Manhunter. I am talking Saw. I'm talking more James Wan, too, because we talk about The Conjuring. Uh, we talk about 28 Days Later. And that's all without mentioning the dozens, and I do mean, do well, not dozens, a dozen, over a dozen <laughs> commentaries you can get in all your favorite movies, uh, like Gremlins. You know, we love watching Gremlins this year. Who doesn't like having Gizmo under the tree or next to the menorah? Well, Hanukkah's over. But yeah, anyway, you get the point. Bottom line, we hope to see you there so we can give you, you know it, one more scare. Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody, disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. Damn, son, look at all of these monsters! Come on, all of you monsters, out of here! Everyone, out of this room! Come ah, ah. You, on the bed! Come on, out, out, take a hike! Greetings, carolers. I'm saying carolers because we are in the Christmas season. Welcome to another installment of Halloweenies. I'm your host, Dan Chris Kringle Caffrey, because the movie we're about to cover today I don't think has any characters that will work as alliterations for my name. So you're getting old Santa Claus today. Uh, welcome to another installment of The Rental, which is, of course, our category on Halloween is where we don't cover a franchise like usual. We cover a one-off. Although today's a little bit different. It's a one-off that I guess you could say is part of a franchise, but at the same time, there's no sequels. It's essentially just to, um, uh, an original movie and two remakes. And we were covering one of those remakes today. That remake, of course, is 2006's Black Christmas, a remake of the classic from the 70s by Bob Clark. This one is written and directed by Glenn Morgan. We will get to more of him in a minute and all of the wonderful people in this movie and our thoughts on the movie itself. But first, uh, Chris Kringle has a few elves helping him out today, and we've got to meet them all. So um, why don't we, you know, I've got the sleigh all suited up. 
I figure it's best to go to the coldest environment here. Uh, let's go to the Windy City. The city's so nice, they named it Ice. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Who do we have over there? This is Mike. Baby, please stay home. Vanderbilt, coming to you live from the south side of Chicago. Excited to be talking about uh, Black Christmas. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners are excited that we're finally doing this episode, although I don't think it's the one they were expecting. <laughs> I have to be honest, I'll cop to it. I thought we were doing both this and the 2019 remake today, which it could have been interesting. It would have been a much longer episode, but maybe we'll do that one in the future. Mike, what was your first experience seeing 2006's Black Christmas? Was this it or did you see it when it came out? I've watched it twice now for the podcast. Uh, I had no desire to see it when it came out in 06 as I was already uh, at that point, I guess, uh, not a long time fan, but long enough. Uh, I loved the original and just kind of never felt the urge to go see it <laughs> that's I, a good reason to not see it yeah you know I, a, a lot of those uh, i mean i i skipped a lot of the remakes from the i mean this is not a platinum dunes entry but it it feels of the same ilk of the mid-2000s yeah it's that era that very distinct it's almost become this nostalgic aesthetic the way we talk about 70s horror movies now i feel like we talk about early to mid 2000s horror movies i think there was an article in i want to say vulture a little while back about um yeah you know this and the texas chainsaw massacre and friday the 13th and disturbing behavior the, yeah there this whole like what they call it tank top horror although there's no tank <laughs> top horror, really i i do Christmas i do top. love I, that i think that is a very uh apropos description but i think it does take like maybe being five to ten years removed before you figure out what the aesthetic was. Totally, yeah. And it, it, it almost feels accidental, but then again, I am starting to appreciate a lot of these movies now for how they look. And I, I spoiler, uh, spoiler alert, this movie was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, it actually had a lot of redeeming qualities about it, I thought. I don't know if everyone else feels that way, um, <laughs> but uh, we'll see in just a little bit. Okay, so we're, uh, uh, Mike, the elf, sorry I'm making you all elves. I don't know if that's an awful power trip on my play for getting to host this episode. We're in the sleigh. We have to go pick up our other uh, Black Christmas scholars slash elves to help us out with the journey tonight. Um, we're going to go, I guess we're going west, so we'll go a little bit further west to a place that's maybe not quite as cold, but cold enough uh, in the the rainy land of Seattle. Uh, who is in Seattle? Hello, this is Adrian Olivia Hussey's strange British accent, Clark. Um, <laughs> nice. And yeah, I'm out here in the drippy, rainy Pacific Northwest and excited to talk Black Christmas. Yeah, thanks for being here. We, I mean, we, you know, we always put out a call for, um, for guests to have on our rental episodes and we get a lot of good responses all the time, but we wanted someone who really had familiarity with uh, this series and just Black Christmas in general. What was your first experience with this movie? And then uh, maybe you could also talk a little bit about your uh, greater academic quest as related to the Black Christmas series uh, that you were telling us about just a little while ago. Sure. Yeah. Um, I actually have no recollection of when I first saw this film. I might have seen it in the theaters. I was in college in 2006, so there's a chance I just don't remember. It was all a blur. Um, But I know I saw it, you know, around when it came out and then kind of forgot about it really, you know, as many of those remakes of the time just kind of blow past. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I, I, re, I, I re-engaged with the film when uh, Seattle International Film Festival asked me to teach a class on feminism in holiday horror, which I readily agreed to and then went, oh no, is that, is that a thing in holiday horror? There's a lot of, you know, 
impaling naked women on antlers and these kinds of things. And I can do the mental gymnastics around a feminist interpretation of that. But um, really, I just kept coming back to the Black Christmases and and where they succeed and where they fail. Um, so I, I created most of the class around those three films. So it, yeah. it's interesting that so they came to you with that very specific topic. It wasn't like they didn't go, oh, do you want to teach a class? And you said, oh, well, why don't I do it on feminism and holiday horror? They had that already locked and ready to go. A, a little bit of both. My friend Colleen O'Halloran runs that program. And so she, we're both huge horror fans. And so she she kind of, she knew when she wanted the class. And so she kind of had an idea of where it would go. Um, but it was up to me to kind of build it out. So I could have gone in a different direction, but I really liked her initial idea. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, Black Christmas is kind of the perfect series to, uh, and, and also to the way it's evolved. You know, the original is about um, women under attack uh, from this killer in the sorority house. And, and which I guess all of those, that's the the it's the one thing all the movies have in common. Um, and then with the third one that came out last year, they even even from a marketing standpoint, it was two, it was two women who made it. Um, I feel like it was an, an even more evolved take on the feminism from the the first film. Um, and I'm sure we'll touch, I think we'll touch a little bit on the original movie and the, the second remake today. I think it's inevitable, even as we're talking about this 2006 one. Uh, yeah, so thank you for being here. We're super excited to have you. Okay, so we're in the sleigh. We have one more elf to pick up. Uh, we got to go back east a little bit to Tennessee um, in the in the mountains with someone who, who's been uh, talking a lot about Christmas movies um, on on other podcasts and just in general. Who do we have in Tennessee? This is Jen keeping it 1974 Adams, and I am have been very have really dove into the Black Christmas world this week. Um, so really excited to talk about this one. This was the first time I'd watched it all the way through today, but we just finished our episode on the original for psychoanalysis and I just watched the 2019 remake for the first time last night. So I'm just like swimming in black Christmas thoughts right now. So I'm really excited. (laughs) And Adrian, your class sounds amazing and I really want to take it. I know I want to take it too. All right. So the sleigh is loaded up. We have all the glass unicorns and gouged out <laughs> eyes to go and give the kids as we go on our macabre Christmas journey. Um, yeah, let's. So we we've touched on it a little bit already, but obviously, this, like you said, this is a remake of the 1974 original, which many people hailed as being sort of Halloween before it was Halloween. I've read a lot of takes where they f- feel like Halloween ripped off Black Christmas. Just the idea of a, of a cipher of a killer who's mysterious and ominous we never find out who it is um the point of view shots all that i do think there's some stylistic similarities i do not by any means think halloween is a ripoff of of black christmas and i i can also see why halloween got famous quick but i don't i feel like the original black christmas was not seen in the same league as halloween and the exorcist and some of these 70s iconic horror movies until i don't know maybe the past 10 15 years like growing up it was more of a to me, it seemed like a cult movie almost. Um, it was I don't know, hard but, to find. Like it wasn't yeah. available readily on home video because I did not see the original Taos about 20 or 21. So that's about 2000, 2001. And it was simply because the Hollywood video by my house happened to have it on the shelf. And uh, me and uh, the young lady I was hanging out rented it and both like immediately fell for it. And we're disappointed that it took us so long to see it because it was a hit or a relatively big hit in canada in 1974 and then warner brothers bought it to the states in 75 and put a big marketing campaign behind it they had people dressed in santa claus suits on the beaches in la handing out black chris uh it's going to be a black christmas pins 
and there's a really great press book that you can track down online. It kind of showcases all the marketing that they put into it. They even had, uh, who was it, James Mason of Salem's Lot and the <laughs> Thunderbird wine commercials do the terrific trailer where he delivers that great tagline, if this doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. And I think it just kind of fell by the wayside in the mid-70s. But I, whether Halloween rips it off or not, I, I will almost guarantee you that John Carpenter saw this movie because it did play around the Los Angeles area in the mid 70s. I'm reading that book Taking Shape right now, uh, which is tracks all the Halloween movies from what do they call it from script to screen. And um, apparently, Bob Clark also was going to make a movie called Halloween, that was going to be a sequel to Black Christmas, the original Black Christmas, about the killer escaping and doing that on Halloween. And he and him and John Carpenter both insist that these were like they knew each other, but they, they were they were separate thoughts. And neither of them were ripping each other off and they seem to respect each other's work, but it's interesting how they, yeah, they seem to be kind of intertwined a little bit. Yeah. Adrian or Jen, do you have anything to add to that? Just about the, the background of black Christmas, the original, just as a series in general. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's hard to say that one ripped them off because slashers are so formulaic, you know, mm -hmm, I mean, you mm -hmm. could say that about all slashers and I really feel like there's enough, distance between the two that it like they feel like different movies they feel like when we were doing our episode it's really hard not to compare it to Halloween because there are so many bare similarities but when you really start to dig in I feel like they're saying and doing different things and in different ways and I actually feel like the 2006 remake is closer to Halloween mm. than the 1974 original yeah and I think also that the, <laughs> Black Christmas the original to me feels so nihilistic even more so than Halloween, <laughs> that ending mm -hmm. is just brutal, and we won't. I won't. We won't get too far into that. Um, uh, but yeah, Adrian, did you have something to add about that as well? I, I just think that maybe the similarity comes from what I assume is the source material for both. I, um, oh, what's his name? Roy Moore, the off the writer of Black Christmas. Mm -hmm. uh, it's claimed that he was inspired by the folk tale of the babysitter and the man upstairs which is not surprising it's literally the plot you know mm -hmm. the call is coming from inside the house mm -hmm. um and i don't know that that um carpenter was inspired in the same way or with the same material but it's it's really close so i, I think that's where it really comes from and that and pov shots is really all i see as a similarity yeah and they're really both trying to rip off psycho right <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. They do both do. Yeah, um, they are both very indebted to Hitchcock. I mean, I guess any any horror movie is in its way. So yeah, I mean, and similar to y'all, I, I was actually working at Blockbuster when I first saw the original Black Christmas, and it kept saying we had it in the store in the system, but I could not find it in the horror section. And then finally, one day, I was stocking the shelves, and I realized someone had put it in sci-fi for some reason. I have no idea why. So yeah, I was finally able to see it, and it was, yeah, same thing. I fell in love with it. <laughs> I know it's weird, right? I, I remember yeah. the, the box was like black and white and very i don't know maybe it looked spacey to them like it didn't really the the, the box wasn't very christmasy so maybe someone oh you're talking it's the one where it's just uh olivia hussey's face against a black mm -hmm. background yeah, yeah and it, and yeah. it's kind of blurry so maybe they thought yeah. it was science that's uh the one dvd copy i have uh, yeah. features that artwork i think that's the one i think that's the only one they had for a little bit now now there's different editions of it and all that but um yeah i think for a while that was the only dvd very bare yeah. bones doesn't even have yeah. subtitles and features one interview with John Saxon. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, the great John Saxon. I mean, if you're um, going to interview somebody, make I, it John If you're going to have one on that disc, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, yeah. he went on to have them. I mean, Olivia Hussey obviously had a great career. But yeah, as far as 
in the horror world, I think that yeah, John Saxon was was is the GOAT of that uh, of that movie. Um, cool. So that's a little bit of context just about the original. And once again, we were of course talking about the, this 2006 film. Um, so let's go into a little bit of the behind the scenes, maybe some um, what led it to production, the filmmakers' background, all that good stuff, in a section we like to call back of the box. is a means to summon us. Who are you? Welcome to Back of the Box, which I wanted to call Jack in the Box <laughs> or Charlie in the Box because it's Christmas time. Uh, so this is where we talk a little bit about what led to the film, filmmakers behind the scenes, um, all, all, all of the juicy inside stories you would want to know. Um, so obviously this is a remake. Um, it's, I think, characterized as a loose remake because it essentially takes the central story of the original but then has a lot more exposition and background um, a lot, especially for this movie. Um, one of the defining hallmarks of the original is we never find out who the killer is. Um, we think it's probably the boyfriend the whole time. And then as we said in the last section, in the very end of the movie, we see that the killer is still inside the house. This time around, it is almost a bit of an origin story for who the killer or killers are in Black Christmas. Um, and it was written and directed by Glenn Morgan, who did the Willard remake just a few years before. Is anyone, I actually really love the Willard remake. Is anyone a fan of that? I haven't seen that. No one's seen it? Mike, have you seen it? You've seen it, Yeah, right? it's, 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 it, 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 it was one remake I actually did uh, see from that era. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, and Glenn Morgan, um, Here's what I'll say about this. When this film came Glenn out- Morgan's think, got a wild career. Well, not wild, but it's it's interesting when you look at it. The X-Files movies and- uh, Yeah, he got his, got his start writing. Uh, he wrote uh, co-wrote The Boys Next Door mm. with his buddy, uh, James, is it James Wong? Yeah, who, James uh, Wong. Co-produced yeah, this one. They sold it when the, the script when they were 17. And it's an ultra-violent road trip film that was directed by Penelope Spiris. They wrote that when they were 17? 17 years old. Man, I don't know if y'all feel this, but whenever I hear about, you know, we talked about this <laughs> in the a little bit too, with like these, or not, no, I didn't talk about it. I wasn't on it. On your episode, Jen, of, uh, of Comfort Horror with the Hitcher, these filmmakers who like sell scripts when they're 18 19 and you always hear about the oh well the script sucked but then they made it really they did some stuff to it to make it really good mm -hmm. like who are the 17 year olds who are getting movie deals who would even give a movie deal to a 17 year old i yeah. always i always assume that it's california people that have family in the business mm -hmm. and you just don't yeah. know that part of the story that's not in the trivia section of internet movie database yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, so Glenn Morgan, um, yeah, I mean, handled writing and directing duties on this. And I, and once again, I'm, I actually don't know what any of you think about this movie so far, just as, as far as quality goes. I will say, I, I think the criticism that gets leveled at most remakes is that, okay, they're just treading original ground. I mean, the, the Friday the 13th from 2009 is literally greatest hits of the Friday the 13th <laughs> series. Um, you have things like Funny Games are just shot for shot. I mean, that's the same director, but I will say something I will give this movie credit for. It definitely does do its own thing. I mean, it kind of does exactly the opposite of what the original Black Christmas did. Um, and yeah, Glenn Morgan talked about really wanting to explain the killer and elaborate on him. I think at the behest of the wine scenes, actually, who produced it, um, they wanted more information. Um, does that make it scarier? I don't know. We'll see when we talk about it. But I think that's the huge difference in this film is that from the beginning, we know, we know there's a killer. Um, Billy, Billy Lentz, and he is in a mental institution. We see him escape. 
and the re- not the entire movie, but a lot of the rest of the movie is doing these flashbacks to um, to how he became the way he is, and um, you eventually find out there's another killer in his sister Agnes and all that. So I do think it's a bit of an interesting take on the movie, whether or not people actually like it. And he based a lot of Billy's um, uh, misdeeds upon Edmund Kemper, a serial killer, like a really mm. awful serial killer. Did, did you all know who that was before this? I, that, that was my first time hearing of that guy. Yeah, he's in Mindhunter, the first season, I think. Oh, is or he? Is that... He's not. He's portrayed in Mindhunter. <laughs> he's, he's playing himself. Yeah. yeah. He did read a bunch of audiobooks, I think, though. I was reading about like, that. Yeah. Like, he's a model prisoner, I guess. He he, he killed. He killed his grandparents. They and deemed that he was fine and got out and then killed his mom and a bunch of other people and then went back. And apparently he's supposedly one of the most articulate and smartest serial killers um, and has actually contribute a lot of research to how a serial killer minds uh, mind works in prison. I, I haven't watched Mindhunter, but that's so that's who the first that's the killer they're trying to catch in the first season. Uh no, he's he's like the Hannibal Lecter in the first season. Like they go they interview him and um he's fascinating. The actor who plays him, I can't remember his name, but it is great. Yeah. Oh, man, they're not yeah. catching him. There's a lot of serial killers in that that show. So Yeah. It's like oh yeah the 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 Hall of Fame of, of uh, serial killers, but yeah. League of Extraordinary uh, serial killers, <laughs> yeah, the League, League of Extraordinary creeps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, yeah, Glenn Morgan found a lot of inspiration in that, and it is funny because you know I, something I feel about Billy in this movie. I'm like, oh man, they're just layering on tragedy after tragedy between the jaundice and the incest (laughs) cannibal i'm like they're really going all out with all these serial killer trips but then you read about a guy like edmund kemper and a lot of other serial killers and you are like yeah some people do have lives that are this messed up and uh, once again do i want to watch a movie about it i don't know well (laughs) um we shall we shall wait and see um but yeah that's yeah morgan had what he did uh he did a bunch of television uh, which we always talk about on Halloweenies. He wrote for Wise Guy with Ken Wall, The Commish, Space Above and Beyond, uh, and X-Files and Millennium, and the latest iteration of Twilight Zone. But my favorite bit of trivia about him was he did an uncredited rewrite on the heavy metal horror favorite, Trick or Treat, which features Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne uh, from director Charles Martin Smith, who most fans will remember as Toad from American Graffiti. Wow. I have still never seen that Trick or Treat. For, uh, for many years, whenever I wanted to watch the Trick or Treat, like the Michael Doherty one that everyone loves. Yes. I would look for it. And, but the other one was always streaming and I would always mm-hmm. click on it. Like, God damn it. Yeah. Have, yeah. Have, trick uh, or treat. Yeah. Have you, have you, yeah. Which one is, tri- is, is trick or treat? So there's the trick day- or treats, which is from the late seventies, early eighties. And it's kind of just a forgettable horror flick trick or treat, which is the, <laughs> or I think it's trick or treat, which is the heavy metal horror one. And then there's trick or treat, which is that's, the Michael Doherty one. That's the pirate one. Yeah, I was gonna Sorry. say, I, there is. I think I think one of the correct me if I'm wrong is one of the kids in the bus in Trick or Treat isn't he dressed as a pirate? There's got to be a, someone dressed as a pirate somewhere. In, yeah, in that movie. I think I can't remember. I just like yeah. to say "r" a lot. So yeah, That's yeah. It's like what did the, <laughs> my dumb pirate joke? What's the old? There's the old. Yeah, what's the? Uh, why did the why, why the pirate go to the movie? Because it was rated R. Because it was rated R. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the Fraser joke. I, I'm a fan. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jen and Adrian, have either of you seen Trick? Or treat the the, the, one, the Gene Simmons one that oh, uh, that Morgan yes. has. Yeah. Oh you hell yes! I, I love heavy metal horror. I mean, I'm a metal fan in general. Um, yeah, I mean, you've got Gene Simmons in there and Ozzy Osbourne. Well, they both have appearances. It's it's yeah. The kid from Family I mean, Ties, uh, isn't he the lead? Yeah. yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Is it's it, definitely is it, one of the, is okay. it like scary or is it like campy? I've been watching horror movies for so long that like <laughs> <laughs> the part of my brain that like registers fictional fear is just a bloody stump. So I have no frame of reference. <laughs> yeah, it is hard to t- to draw the. I was reading a summary of the original Black Christmas. And it it was in like a reputable mag- what was it? Uh, it was some kind of Christmas roundup thing and like a legit magazine. It was saying, "Oh, this can't be 1974 classic." And I'm like, "I don't think the originals can't be at all." But maybe, it, yeah, well, maybe I've watched too much horror. Here's a weird thing. Well, here's a weird thing about uh, you know. I think when it comes to like age and what you grew up with, somebody might be writing the article thinks the 1974 Black Christmas is campy because there's bell bottoms in it, whereas <laughs> somebody y- y- who was 10 in 2006 and caught this uh the the 2006 black xmas uh, on cable caught like one of those scenes and it terrified them and now that's the scariest movie they've ever seen mm-hmm. just because they saw it when they were 10 well and the thing about black christmas the original that i i didn't really love it the first couple of times i watched it because i wasn't really paying attention and so there's like these broad performances from like margot kidder and like there are kind of these silly like townspeople that show up like there are definitely camp elements but i think it's a lot of like just 70s things like you were saying there's bell bottoms and a crazy big jacket but there's a lot of real nuance and like depth into that movie that you're not going to catch if you're not really focused on what's going on and the 70s pacing is we're just not used to it anymore. So if you're not like if you're not looking for it, I think you're going to miss a lot of the the heart of that movie, which I certainly did on first watch. Totally. Well, I think the house mother too, and the old one who's who's a lot older. You know, she's getting drunk oh, yeah. and passing out. But at the same time, and that's funny to us. And I think it was a source of comedy somewhat. But we also forget in the '70s that wasn't that uncommon. You know, my parents talk about taking their senior trip to Disney world and like the teachers buying them beer and it, it wasn't considered creepy at all. You know, I mean, they're, they're like, I think a lot, I think a lot of the sort of looseness and the latchkeyness of these older movies we think is way funnier and out of place than maybe, yeah, maybe it was in the, in the seventies. Uh, on, on the subject of the house brother, the first one real quick, uh, when we programmed this at the music box of horrors last October, we did a thing where we gave clues so people could guess what movies there were. And I uh, described this one as the scariest episode of the facts of life you've ever seen. That's <laughs> yeah, I co-signed I, I, yeah. that. <laughs> Not to mention um, again, but the theme, the call is coming from inside the house was a new idea then. Mm-hmm. And now it's like so ubiquitous. I could see how it would seem campy to someone who feels like that, idea has been around forever yeah. we've seen it a million mm-hmm. times you know you'd never which, seen it before before 1974 which right. apparently i mean we get that we get an, a version of this in the new one with the cell phone in the ceiling but it's not the main driving force it's not the big scare right which was apparently mm-hmm. some of the motivation behind morgan and the producers putting two killers in the movie now morgan said later on in 2014 that he he insists that wasn't his idea that that was the weinsteins that other people wanted because they wanted to make it not so familiar um but at the time i i mean it's like any movie right producers directors they always they're championing the movie at the times and 10 years later when it doesn't do well it's like i, I didn't <laughs> everything that everything that was bad wasn't my idea yeah exactly which i i don't uh I mean, we're, we're starting to get into a little bit of the opinion of the movie. I don't necessarily mind the two killers. And I don't know. I It's so hard sometimes to evaluate these movies from the early 2000s. that were, I, remember, I remember this movie just getting crucified in the press when it came out. Um, I, I would catch glimpses of it on like HBO afterwards. But I'm, it, it just seemed like a grotesquery version of 
of the original, right? But I don't know. Nowadays, because we've gotten so many same old, same old remakes, I don't know if I'm maybe drawn to the two killers and some of the weirder, nastier elements of this movie just because they're different. Um, but also just because it's different doesn't mean good necessarily. So I, I have, like you were saying uh, before, Adrian, about not being able to determine what's camp and not. I do think sometimes with horror movies, maybe I shouldn't cop to this on the horror analysis podcast, but <laughs> I, have hard, I, I question my taste sometimes because I'm like, well, I don't know. Like this is kind of cool and different and weird. So I like, but I'm like, well, I don't know. Does that make it good or not? So, well, yeah, it's like mm-hmm. without getting into weeds on it, it's what I, we talked about uh, when we were on break there for a minute. Uh, why I, really dig the ending of the 2019 Black Christmas because it goes so far off the rails from everything else that it did before, whether intentional or not. I dig it. Yeah, let's, let's since we're kind of on background and we haven't gotten too, too far into the specifics in, of the new one yet, because I, I too also watched the 2019 one for the first time for this podcast just to have that context. And my opinion of that is that I, I had heard, once again heard horrible things about that movie. I was really with it for the first two acts. Like I, I liked the politics of the movie. I thought they were implemented really well. I, I like the idea, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen that yet, you know, turn off now or skip ahead a few minutes if you don't want to hear about 2019 Black Christmas. But I even, I really like this idea that, okay, yeah, it's these women saying up to these toxic frat guys and, and yeah, they're the ones behind the masks. And I, I thought it was going to become this home invasion battle royale once you find out who's behind the killings. And when they got to that black goop supernatural <laughs> stuff and like i know you and i were texting about it i it, it was and, and it was weird too because i still liked the very end of the movie i liked i liked how the movie ended ended it was just that little five minute stretch where you get all this exposition about black goop and they never really defined what it was they're just like the goop helps us target the women it was so <laughs> jarring to me i i think they could have done the same movie with the same politics just kept it home invasion that that was my opinion on it. so it was it was but it, it was interesting but jen what what did you think because i saw you posting on uh instagram and twitter um some similar thoughts about how the how clunky the exposition was what, what were your like real quick just your overall thoughts on um 2019's black christmas yeah i will say i i feel like i'm a little close to it to really kind of have a firm opinion of mm-hmm. what i think i really really dug what it was going for and yeah, i was on board for a lot of it but i feel like it was like a series of empowering moments that i wanted to see that really kind of hung together loosely that mm-hmm. didn't and some of the moments were just very clunky like there's a, a singing yeah. performance that i was like I think I like what you're doing, but I, this seems very, I don't know. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it was just the execution, <laughs> but yeah. I will also say it was upsetting for me to watch too. Like there are yeah. it's some of the things it's doing, it's doing very well intentionally. And I just, I don't know. I feel like it's, it's a, a post me too movie really close to being post me too. And I just don't know if we've quite figured out how to, tell that story yet you yeah know? it's kind of like i mean i guess united 93 aside but even that was very raw um you know when it came out but yeah it's that same thing of like having i feel like we didn't get a, a ton of good pop culture about 9-11 until almost um uh you know five years or so removed from uh, yeah from when it happened yeah and, and and obviously with me too i mean that stuff's been going on for centuries right but we haven't been gun acknowledging it in pop culture quite so explicitly until the you know the past i mean gosh it's only been three years at this point um but yeah but but vanderbilt yeah you said you were you loved the pivot with the the black as as someone who grew up reading ec uh comics it was uh 
which were always so heavy handed and on nose. And that led to me being a big fan of both of the Tales from the Hood movies, which approach social issues with kind of a kind of a, a gallows humor and, and uh, attack the heavy message with some kind mm. of wild ideas. And I really felt that Black Christmas 2019 fell in line with that. But again, would have been probably better had it been a 20 to half hour, uh, 20 to 30 minute segment in a larger anthology. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It didn't feel as like, comprehensive as it could have been. And I don't, I don't know. There's something to be said in many ways for attacking something from such a raw standpoint. But yeah, are you going to have the um, just the better cinematic good taste and knowledge to you know, not go full on. But I mean, I, w- I will say this about all three Black Christmases. They're very different. <laughs> they, <laughs> they make choices. They very strong choices. Um, yeah, Adrian, did you have anything you wanted to share about the 2019 Black Christmas? Um, and once again, I'm sure it's not the last time it'll come up throughout this recording. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I really enjoy it. And I think that I enjoyed it more when I did more research on it, because there are kind of three things that contextually made me a fan and that's one Sophia Takal and April Wolf had nine months to go from nothing to script you might have said that I had a I had a a lag for a moment yeah so they had nine months to create a full film um and that is really impressive in my opinion I don't think Mm -hmm. I could do that um they also specifically were making it for teenage women so the MPAA is really really strict obviously we all know that and since the film actually was about sexual assault they already were up against a losing battle for how much violence they could have in their film so you know a big complaint you see online is there isn't you know they cut away it's not violent enough well they they made that choice specifically because the message they were trying to convey to young women um was important so that was a sacrifice they were willing to make which i also mm-hmm. find very you know it's 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 worthwhile to me because it's just not yeah. a group that has traditionally had horror films made for them, although they always, teen girls love horror. Um, so yeah, and obviously, you know, that Exorcist 3 reference is great. <laughs> oh, I was going to, yeah, the, the, yeah, the kill on the staircase, right? That at first I thought mm-hmm. Psycho with with Martin Balsam getting killed, but you're totally right. It's completely um, Exorcist 3 with the, that's such a good scare. That's like, Yeah. Well, yeah. I think part of what I th- I was watching last night and I was thinking, I don't know what a satisfying ending for this would be because we don't have satisfying endings that we're seeing to these stories anymore. And so mm-hmm. I was really on board for a lot of the the like raw pain of it. And then I just I and then it goes off the rails and I was kind of on board for that, too. But it felt like it didn't quite mix because. I don't know what I would have wanted. I don't know what the justice is there, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. If they had been given two, I'm not sure why Blum felt the need to do this in nine months, but I feel like if they'd been given two years, we would have seen something a little bit more refined. Maybe still, maybe still crazy, but you know, I think yeah, Yeah, a little more time. I love love the idea of them, them like you know, Jason. We just don't have enough time. He's like, no, 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 we're gonna do it. Black goop, bada bing, bada boom. Let's do it. (laughs) I think that's very much his uh, his philosophy when it comes to it too. I think he's. Very much mm-hmm. from that Corman school, like just get it done, get it out. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, it's um, and it is funny too because it, I I did forget. Yeah, it was targeted specifically targeted toward you know middle to high school girls. You know, that's a demographic. They maybe they don't always want the the subtle, nuanced, finessed thing too, right? I mean, like if, if yep. I, I mean the the politics that movie were very clear, and maybe something that to us is like oh, this seems a little like crass or whatever. Um, 
yeah, could could really hit home for them. And hey, and hey, yeah. you know, hey, we're here. We are in twenty twenty, almost twenty twenty one, doing a podcast on this random ass movie that came out fourteen years ago. <laughs> if you had asked two thousand six Dan, hey, um, do you think you'll be devoting two hours of your life to the Black yeah. Christmas? 2006 and uh, in, 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 you know almost 15 years from now I would have said hell no um and here we are you know I would have probably not. told you I'd never even I'm never gonna watch that movie yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly so I think I think a horror I mean I, I mean I always joke about this but I do think we're in this kind of time period where we're reevaluating all horror and that you're gonna find a champion for any movie and I'm sure uh-huh. that would be the case for the you know 2019 Black Christmas too I mean I think it is already the case in a way but yeah I wonder how we'll look back on, on that Twitter one. Twitter just uh uh, speeds up the process on that. <laughs> yes. People are defending shit the day after it came out as being oh, underappreciated. Right. I mean, it's like the reviews haven't even come out yet. How is this yeah. underappreciated? Well, there is that. I, I, we don't have to get name names yeah. to go too far. But yeah, you know, there there is that whole thing this year. Of, well, on Twitter, on film Twitter, there's a lot of oh, 2020 sucked. Which yeah, 2020 was not the best year. I think we can all say. Um, but <laughs> but oh, it was a great year for horror. You had all these classics and just listing. Just li- literally listing every horror movie that came out. Like, well, <laughs> it's like you saw in our group text yesterday, Dan's like, you know, everybody put yeah. together a top 10 in a year. And I'm like, uh, number one, Bad Boys for Life. Number two, Invisible Man, I guess. Because those are like the only two movies I saw like yeah, the theater the, this year. And, that, and I, th- I, I think there are a lot of good horror movies this year. But would I, would I say there were a ton of amazing horror? I mean, I mean, it's too early to say. I mean, I, I loved Invisible yeah. Man. I loved Possessor. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, there were a lot of, I think there were a lot of like good mid-level ones, but I don't, I don't know if it, it wasn't like we got 20 Texas Chainsaw Massacres this year or something like Most that. movies are a B to a B minus okay. and I'm happy with that. Yeah. A lot good. of my favorite movies are probably D pluses. And in a, <laughs> in a, in a year that was a D minus, you know, the B's maybe seem <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. Well, so yeah, let's, so uh, let's, um, I mean, I, I, sh- I could have done so. I feel like there was there was a great segue to be had here with, with Christmas time. There's jingle bells. I'm listening to Christmas carols all the time. I feel like I could have tied it a little bit better to this next category, but we're just going to go right into it back to the 2006 movie. Um, uh, this is a section where we talk about the soundtrack and score music from and inspired by. Now it's time for the fun part. All right, so in this section, we're obviously going to talk about the composer for Black Christmas, what the musical qualities are. You all may feel differently. I want to see what everyone's thoughts are. I, to be honest, I didn't really remember much of the score score from this movie, although I did think it made very good use of Christmas music. Just this idea of twinkling music playing while while you know moms are being made into human gingerbread cookies and <laughs> getting eaten and um, people impaled on Christmas trees. But so that's that's I feel like the quality I take from this. The actual score, I didn't really find anything objectionable in it necessarily. But if you were going to say, "Hey, hum the 2006 Black Christmas theme," I I don't think I could do it. Um, but I do want to talk about the composer though because this is interesting. So this is Shirley Walker. Um, honestly, you don't get a ton of, of female composers in Hollywood, let alone horror um, horror movies in Hollywood. Um, and she's had a really, really interesting career. Uh, she did the complete score for The Incredible Shrinking Woman. She actually scored a John Carpenter movie, um, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, which is one of the only of his movies I have not seen. And 
yeah, she kind of operated in in this genre world, even like Batman the Animated Series, um, just a, a pretty diverse slate of superhero films and horror films. She unfortunately died just a couple weeks before this movie was released. Uh, she died on November 30th, 2006. And um, this film came out, I think, in December, on December, uh, I want to say 15th in the UK and then Christmas Day in the US, which was apparently a big deal because a lot of Christian groups didn't like that. But yeah, yeah, so I, I, what about the rest of you though? Did any of you, were any of you particularly drawn to the music and the score? Um, for me, it was more like, oh, cool, Shirley Walker's last score. This is interesting. But I, I couldn't remember the actual music too well after I, I turned it off. Uh, Jen, let's start with you. Um, I really loved the use of the Nutcracker throughout that. I don't think yes. that really counts, but it really <laughs> added to the Christmas ambiance that I like. And I, Tchaikovsky is one of my all-time favorites. But I caught a little bit of um, what I did notice about the score, which was not much because I feel like it's kind of just serviceable. There were some Home Alone nods into like some melodic motifs that I was, especially during the flashbacks that I was like, did, oh, okay, I see what you're doing there. I like there, it. There was a, mo- yeah, in the flashback on the, um, the top of the stairs and like that really dark, the dark house of Billy and them, I thought it was, I literally thought it was going to go into the Home Alone music. Like for mm-hmm. the, th- there was like three notes and then it went into something else. I, I couldn't tell if that was intentional or not, but I'm, I'm the fact yeah. that you picked up on it, that more than one of us picked up on it. I feel like maybe it was. Yeah. Intentional. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. What about you, Adrian? What, what are your thoughts on the music of this film? I second everything Jen said. I, the Nutcracker, which is not, you know, wasn't created for this film, but it's great. No, I, it's just a, a choice I would have never thought to make. And it mm-hmm. just, it sticks with you. You know, I was listening to it in my head after rewatching this film being like, oh, wow, that's a new context for this, for this suite. What if we just hadn't done any of our research and we thought Shirley Walker wrote the Nutcracker suite? <laughs> <laughs> that would be melody. amazing. It, it, yeah. it conjured images of sugar plums in my head. It was so, it was great. Like I, right. I think it's one of the great unsung <laughs> Christmas scores. Well, um, and it really took off because you hear it every Christmas, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah she, the movie is finally getting its due. And I, I'm, I'm assuming because that felt that music is in the public domain, I, I'm assuming she maybe did the arrangement on that, or maybe it was just a, uh, recording of an already existing score but either way someone made that choice to put it in there and i think it does work especially that in that last scene of the christmas tree uh vandy what about you would any anything to say about shirley walker or the score in general first off what a career to start with apocalypse now and end with 2006's black christmas she did apocalypse now i actually did know that yeah she's got a she has a musician she played the synthesizer in apocalypse now but what's it no i mean she had some notable genre entries as you said uh contributing to nightbreed cujo a bunch of uh charles band productions who's one of my favorites dungeon master and uh So so she was a musician a lot of the time then for not as not as much doing her own score yeah, but apparently she was the go-to composer for Christmas movies because she worked on Ernest Saves Christmas, <laughs> Scrooged, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, oh. and she did uh, she composed part of a tune called Carol of the Bells for the 1997 film Turbulence with Ooh. Ray Liotta. Oh, I remember that video about Ray Liotta and Lauren Holly, right? Yeah. So I remember she... the video box very... <laughs> And then she did uh, Edward Scissorhands, which is, you know, Christmas-ish, yeah, Christmas adjacent. So, um, yeah, but the score in this, like, I I don't, I, there was nothing notable about it for me, but I do love whenever, like, horror comedy uses Christmas music kind of against what it's supposed to be, where it's not mm-hmm. as sweet, where, um, you know, like, 
what I want to say, like even opening up Gremlins with Christmas Baby, Please Come Home, like, mm-hmm. and knowing what's going to come after that, that kind of dissonance between what the original intent of these songs were and what the movie was using. And I thought this one, uh, this uh, Black Christmas 2006 features some pretty good recordings of yeah. these classic Christmas tunes. Because I used to, I remember... One uh, when I was working when I was ten in Bar at Chili's when we had mu- Christmas music on the overhead and I love Christmas music, but it, it's almost like the playlist that they were using. It was like, hey, you know that Christmas song you love? Well, here's a horrible version of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I thought this one had some excellent uh, uh, recordings. Yeah, well, I'm also looking too. Hey, you know she did the Ghoulies score too, Mike. That's one of that, your favorites. Yeah, that's, oh, um... big big fan. Not a Christmas movie, but close <laughs> enough. Hey, we don't talk enough about how Ghoulies is actually a Christmas movie. <laughs> <laughs> Gremlins ah. is a Christmas movie. Ghoulies ah. is not yeah. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Um, yeah, I mean, ah. she even co-composed Escape from L.A. I mean, she's. I feel like she's worked adjacent with a, a lot of other movies we've, or not movies, but directors we've covered on this podcast and elsewhere. Um, she and as a conductor and orchestrator too. She worked on Malone. That's one of uh, Rand- Rock and Randall Colburn's favorite movies. Um, Cujo. She did the or- the conducting for that. So hmm. yeah, I think Dick Tracy, Edward Scissorhands. To- you know, I think I, I know we joke about. It. I I consider Toys, the movie Toys with Robin Williams, to be a Christmas movie. She did the orchestration or the conducting for that too. So I, I love seeing a career like this though, where it's like you know that she was probably a real gem to work with because when you have this much work. Mm-hmm. Uh, on these varying kinds of movies like you know people are like yeah just hire her she'll be great she she's a lot of fun you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i would say yeah totally i would I would say if, if we're including her conducting and orchestrating and and musician work too in addition to scoring i would say she has a more diverse career than a han zimmer or a jerry goldsmith you know like the, these are yeah okay she's not winning oscars left and right necessarily but you know, she she did Batman: Mask of the Phantasm and Batman Forever. She did Free Willy Two: The Adventure Home. She did John Carpenter movies. Kind so of a, a a character actor of conducting. Ah, mm-hmm. that's I, Mike. You got to buy that and sell it, my friend. I think that's <laughs> a, a good saying, good PR uh, for her. yeah. So I mean, yeah, unfortunately, she she passed away so soon after Black Christmas, and her husband had died not too long before that, which is always a bummer. But yeah, Shirley Walker, we salute you. You have had quite the you had you, you had quite the career. And, and um, uh, before we move on, one more mention: yeah. she is part of the Final Destination movies, which is going to come up a lot through this episode. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah, with the casting. Yeah, I I feel like honestly, it's it's fine. We don't. I feel like Justin Gerber is usually the MVP when it comes to all these weird. I, actually, you too, Vandy. Like I feel like you guys know the the trivia well, and like ins- all the connections and the stuff. He yeah. inspired me doing those first couple episodes. I'm like, I'm gonna have to keep up with this cat because I know I I, I feel like I haven't found enough uh, like General Hospital Days of Our Lives connections in this <laughs> to, to earn my keep. So just so I, if you're listening, we we apologize. I know you I know you do the Lord's work, and I'm just. A, <laughs> lowly angel um but yeah they're definitely talking about auteur and uh, final destination we'll get to a little bit of that in our next section which is called who goes there you never told me your name why do you want to know my name i want to know who i'm looking at what did you say i want to know who i'm talking to that's not what you said what do you think i said Welcome to Who Goes There, which is a breakdown of the cast, the characters. Maybe we'll get into some Final Destination trivia, <laughs> I think. 
Um, so there aren't, uh, I feel like sometimes this section can go really long, like in Friday the 13th movies where oh, my killing goodness. 20 people in a single movie. And we're all on 21 Jump Street. Oh man, seriously. Mm-hmm. And, and you're getting kooky uh, townspeople on top of that. I mean, this isn't somewhat of an ensemble cast, but not, I don't think it's like inordinately huge. Um, it does feel crowded. And that's one of my critiques that'll probably come up later is that it, it's a crowded cast for a, you know, a killer in a house movie yeah one of my biggest complaints about the movie is that i i feel like it's trying to make the women in the sorority house distinct i didn't necessarily feel that about them as characters but um yeah jen what did you think about that did you did did we have a laurie strode in this do, do we have yeah do we do we have a sid a cindy prescott in this oh. film no, no. And I was really looking for one because I love Final Girls and I am very forgiving of slashers, but I feel like, and again, not to compare, I promise I'm not going to compare it to the original, but that's one of the strengths of the originals. The characters yes. feel really developed. And I think it's because we spend so much time with Billy and um, I guess we can spoil Agnes. Yeah, that, we, like, yeah. There are two killers, everyone. Billy and two Agnes. Two killers, yeah, yeah. But um, the, and Billy's the father slash... Father brother. slash brother, bro- brother. I was waiting maybe? for the Chinatown moment where brother, uh, yeah. where he yeah. slapped her. He's my father and my brother. Uh, but because we have that, because that's that's a full third of the story, I think, and because there are, I feel like there are more sorority girls here, and then somebody's sister shows up. Like they kept adding people in, and so what we get is these caricatures, and like we don't really get the depth that we see with like Barb and the original, who is presented mm-hmm. like she comes, she begins as kind of a drunk caricature, but then there's depth, and she's given room to, and and I think we just spend that time with Billy, which is spoiler for my thoughts on this movie but. yeah yeah that, and it, and they give them all like a thing okay there's the girl who's drunk there's the one who yeah. when she gets dispatched so quickly the one who you know cheats or who sleeps with the other one's boyfriend mm-hmm. there, there's the the strangest one for me was the character of eve um because she shows up she, <laughs> you don't know why she's i guess the weird sorority sister mm-hmm. she gives the I think she's a red herring right I think she's like, supposed she's, to be agnes i thought she was yeah. agnes for a minute yeah yeah, that's what I thought too. But she's literally just in that scene, right? It's like the unicorn. She's kind of weird. And then she gets, what, decapitated in a car. And it was like, you can't, I mean, I know sometimes, you, you know what? You can do that, I think, with henchmen in movie, like in the movies and, and like the crow and die hard and cliffhanger. Okay, this is the guy who, who has knives. This is the guy who has this. <laughs> but when you're, but when they're the people being, the, the, the heroes, the good, the heroines, the good people being killed in this movie, and you want the audience to care about them, I think you have to give them a little bit more than just their thing. And you're right. The, I mean, the original Black Christmas, the, we, we spent so much time with them. We, and I mean, you, have, you know, you got Margot Kidder and Olivia Hussey who are incredible too. And, and also, I mean, we, we get her to come back in this movie. The, uh, uh, the, the actor who played Phil, uh, Phyllis in the original one is yeah. back in here too. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. I mean, I feel like she's weirdly a little bit better defined than some of them, but yeah, Adrian, what about you? Just, I guess, general thoughts on uh the sorority sisters in this do you, are, do you gravitate to any of them do any of them jump out at you as being especially memorable no no <laughs> um and not to derail but to just give some context of how i let me put on a we, we, second we pair of nerd glasses but i see it as kind of a victim of multiple things right so just to bring up some stuff I talked about in my classes, third wave feminism 
arguably started in the early 90s, right? It's characterized by Riot Girl. What up, Olympia? <laughs> um, you know, and a lot of like individual bucking of the system. But mm. by the end of the 90s, you see that repackaged as Spice Girls girl power. Within mm-hmm. 10 years, that changes and becomes a commodity that can be repackaged and sold and, and is not threatening anymore. And, and I think that that's significant in how this film comes to a cross for me for especially with the the you know the victims Mm -hmm. is a lack of depth of understanding of what you know um female power or just individualism is and you know you see it in wb of the time or kind of Mm -hmm. like maybe five years earlier six years earlier so yeah you have the drunk one you have these people who are characterized by their singular thing but more importantly you have them all kind of behaving as the same, yes. you know, strong, tough, I'm not a prissy yeah. girl, I curse and I have sex. And so you have this like complete reduction of womanhood and then they all look exactly the same. They're all styled uh-huh. the same. They're all white. It's yeah. like- I'm, glad you, I'm glad you said this and not me. because <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm here to do. I'm, I'm, that's what I'm here to do. Um, and then just one other thing, because it, I think it's important too with the Agnes red herring switcheroo, we can come back to it. But I feel like something happened with the multiple red herrings going on in this film. They're all cut to almost nonsense, but we can talk about that. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah definitely with like between the santa we meet at the beginning and the yeah the escape the the boyfriend who comes over yeah there are a lot of it's weird there are a lot of red herrings despite the movie giving a ton of information early on too but yeah we'll, right yeah we'll we'll talk uh, about that yeah well yeah when we get to uh i would say yeah, <laughs> let's when we get to billy and agnes let's we'll we'll get into some of our our commentary around that yeah vanderbilt yeah, did, yeah you, i wanted to, i wanted to add two thoughts yeah. on on the characters because i think this movie could have been better had they cut the characters maybe in half not literally in half like <laughs> half of the characters <laughs> um and two i just don't understand and like to your point adrian like i just don't want to watch a room of women be bitchy to each other yep. and that seems to be like the big crux of this and it's kind of this it's very disappointing when you look at it compared to the original black christmas and even the 2019 one which maybe makes their friendships a little too you know uh sweet and hunky dory at times but that it's more complicated than that and you don't have to have all those those quips like there's some really painful dialogue in this i thought about uh when they give the big speech when she gives the big speech about christmas being pagan and about being an only child it's and but uh one more point about the characters is that i say i've watched it twice in the past month and both times i'm not 100 sure at the beginning who the survivor is going to be yeah I, yeah I forgot like the first time i didn't know about it the second time i watched it i had completely forgotten who was going to be the final girl yeah and it's inter- interesting too because I think if they were going to really get specific and lean into the tension of, okay, it's these women who have to survive together, but they all hate each other, right? That could, if they were really going into that, that could be cool, like a year next sort of thing. Right. I mean, mm. part of what works really well about your next is that it's this intensely dysfunctional family. They, but once again, it's about specifics. They establish before everything goes south, they really establish why people don't like each other, what the rivalries are, how they're distinct, <laughs> rather than just like, all right, I'm, this girl's weird this one slept with my boyfriend, this one's a drunk, that's it, you know? And, and, and yeah, yeah. We, I'm, we should, I'm convinced most horror screenwriters never had friends. Yeah. Because they can never <laughs> write friends in, in yeah. a script. 
Well, and writing female friends is like it's a male screenwriter. And I'm not saying that men cannot write women well. I'm just saying, like, let a woman read your script because we see like a variance of things that women can be. And it is like a a development compared to some earlier slashers where like women were, were just like weak or strong. But the problem is they're all one thing and women can be the drunk girl or the mean girl Mm -hmm. or and she can also have a dad that's in NASCAR or something and she can be scared and like we can be all of these things at the same time. And I feel like Black Chris, the original lets them do that. Like Margot and Claire get in a fight, not Margot, Barb and Claire get in a fight at the beginning. (laughs) Right. But they like give them time to like show that there are different sides to Barb and that she feels guilty about that. And I feel like here it's just the fight and it's just the one thing. And then expectations in the original one and even right. in the, the 2019 one at times i think yeah i think yeah what, yeah barb's uh, um margo you know <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> she she is such margo a kidder was playing herself yeah. in that right Come yeah, on. oh yeah i, I think she, i mean honestly i think she was a bit and she I love her that that character because and once again I know, and I know we're comparing a lot right now but I think it's okay they have the same it's hard well, not, not to look yeah I know I guess this one's black x-men here so. no we'll we'll talk about we'll talk about this real quick right now because I understand IP and I understand slapping the black Christmas name on it to sell tickets but when you do that you are opening up it's fair game for comparisons to the original mm-hmm. yeah and once again, there's still, I mean, there's, they're definitely playing with the imagery. We see some, you know, we see the kill. We see a lot of the, we want to see this, like the bag saran wrap kill done a lot. We see the unicorn. Yeah. We see, you know, Billy and Agnes, it is taking elements from that. Um, yeah. And when I think about Margot Kidder, when we see her in the original Black Christmas, yeah, we think that she is, she's the brassy, confident one in the house, right? But then we actually see some deep insecurities in her and some deep empathy and guilt. And then, she, and then, so when she does get drunk and, make a mess of herself and that's what leads to her uh spoiler alert her death we, we've earned that because we've seen her go on an actual journey rather yeah. than just oh i got in a fight with yeah. my friend and that's it yeah, um, she's a full character with with motivations and fears i mean yeah, just exactly. to the, your point about that that argument that she and um claire have at the beginning over her responding to the the call is based in what makes them scared i mean that's just Mm -hmm. basic storytelling okay where are these characters coming (laughs) from where is the conflict why does why is barb not afraid of this caller and why is claire afraid of you know it's just you know you just think about it yeah yeah yeah, how does how does one thing lead to next and it is a shame too because i realize we haven't said the names of any of these actors and uh, there are a lot of excellent ones Uh, so katie cassidy is kelly uh michelle trachtenberg harriet the spy herself i love she's uh she she gets it she's the stone cold fox of the episode for you halloweenies listeners oh yeah do we have any sweater hunks in this uh no No, and that is another big problem i have dude is a drag man like (laughs) but i mean he's hot in flannel but it's not he's not not wearing a sweater. turtleneck sweater what if we had definitely Billy not playing piano or agnes that might ruin sweaters for me honestly yeah it's, maybe it's all for the the better uh, right. so yeah i mean he <laughs> i guess I what, what's the boyfriend's name uh uh i didn't even write down kyle kyle. kyle i almost said peter but it's kyle's kyle. the i guess kyle's by default the hunk of the episode um but all of our heads a, in this a, you know i do need to give a shout out about michelle trachtenberg to our man justin because she did appear on all my children alongside <laughs> black christmas co-star lacey chabert mm. uh all my children is apparently the days of our lives of this particular episode of Halloweenies. And she also appeared on the adventures of Pete and Pete, which is where the Halloweenies 
got their name. Oh, did we? I actually, I had to be honest. I, I, of course we did. Now that I think about the Pete and Pete connection. I didn't know that is where that was where we got her, got her name. Yeah, she was great on Pete and Pete. Um, at least she, going back to this idea too of, of showing, um, female characters with dimensions where they appear to be cliches at first. Lacey Chabert, Mean Girls, like that character goes through such a journey in that. But um, yeah, he, I don't, I don't want to say their talent is wasted here because I don't think the performances are bad. I really don't. I think they're yeah. just not given um, a lot to work with. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who we've seen in other genre films, like just mm-hmm. killing it. Um, She's Huntress. That. Love yeah, her. Yeah, uh, man. And uh, got, her, got her start on the weirdest of the soap operas, NBC's Passions. Really? Oh, I remember Passions. Sick. That's a genre. Did y'all see Passions? Anyone hear Passions Head? I yeah. never really watched it, but I was sure. I was definitely aware of it. I was aware of it. Yeah. yeah. I was in the room near it sometimes. <laughs> my I watched more General watched Hospital because that's when I took my lunch break when I was in sales. So mm-hmm. General Hospital was always on. Days Adrian, lives, yeah. Adrian, were you going to share some thoughts on passions? You don't have to. <laughs> Not anything distinct. I was actually talking to my husband about this last night, though, because right, shameless plug, I write a whole article about lifetime thrillers and com- like Ooh. compare them to exploitation films of the past, because that is where the grindhouse went, is lifetime, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Uh, but people are always like, why are you like this? Because I just <laughs> am compelled to consume subpar media. And it started with uh, soap operas. Subpar sounds judgmental, but I mean it as like the trash. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. So, trash. Yeah. Well, yeah. Passions, oh, yeah. It's just all I all I eat. I like what you said about the grindhouse going there because we think about Dark Shadows, total genre soap opera. And then as you know, we get into the 80s and 90s, a lot of the the typical soap operas, we, we get into like gorillas abducting women and ghosts and all this. And passions. <laughs> yes. I remember my sister watched that show and the, you had that little doll kid. He, he's passed away. Yes, the, the doll is the one I, the, the yeah. element I really remember from that. One. He's also uh, mm-hmm. the young Jim Carrey in the, in the Grinch, the really horrific Grinch from. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you have, yeah. You, so you, you have Tabitha. Wow. who's like his sorceress ventriloquist. There's actually, there was a shark in it. I mean, yeah. Passions was really weird. I mean, that was a full, that almost like with a little more artistry could have been like a twin Peaks sort of thing. Um, but yeah, so yeah. So, right, so we, we've done the obligatory soap opera <laughs> connection. Uh, we got Chris and cloak is Lee, Lee, uh, Andrea Martin is Barb. Chris, no, I have uh, to make Chris, Kristen cloak is married to the director. Uh, so really? he was in, she ended up being in, she would, he would always cast her, put her in millennium, uh, space above and beyond is going to come up a lot on this episode. If everybody remembers that short lived, uh, Fox, uh, space, drama and she was in Willard and speaking of soap operas she appeared on the memorable USA Network series Silk Stockings mm. she, uh, wait, we're, we got Brent Final Destination didn't she have some kind of Final Destination she was the teacher in Final Destination in the original Oh, where, where the computer explodes and- right right yeah the Rube Goldberg like living oh, room boy. Yeah, I I remember I, I've only seen the first one I've not seen multiple but it was a lot of fun I don't know oh I, I love like, the first one yeah Kristen Loke puts uh, in a pretty good performance in this one too. She's so over the top. Like, uh, like she really brings the camp. I really think she knows what kind of movie she's in more yeah. than yeah. everybody else in this one. I, I, yeah. I, I will say too, just because Final Destination came up, I do, and we'll get to them more when we talk about the killer. I do like, I actually like some of the, the set pieces as far as the kills go in this movie. I, I And thinking about Final Destination, I'm like, you know, if, if your movie is really just leaning on that and being totally honest about like, this is just going to be a bunch of, weirdo death scenes like i think it can be really good and fun um because that i weirdly liked that stuff better than any of the the drama in in this film um 
but yeah, I do love uh, uh, Final Destination. Um, we said Bar. I have to, as I'm listing this, I'm, I'm even forgetting about some of these characters. So if any of you have really specific <laughs> thoughts on the the sorority sisters, please let me know. But Crystal Lowe is Lauren. Lauren was the uh, was she the one who was puking, right? Yeah, she's the puke puke girl and she has the distinction of not only showing up in a final destination film but also a scary movie film really she's in scary movie four which for the life of me i cannot remember what the hell happened in scary movie four it was scary though not sure if i saw it Uh, but she also she's got some genre cred because she appeared in larry cohen's masters of horror episode uh pick me up She's in Final Destination 3. Were any of these mm. people in the same Final Destination together, or are they all in different? A lot of them are in 3 together. Because, yeah, Mary Elizabeth uh, Winstead is 3. Where should, if I wanted, um, I mean, I, I watched all the Saw movies this year. If I was going to go through all the Final Destinations, <laughs> where, which ones are good? Yeah, well, real quick, roundtable. What's your favorite? Uh, Adrian three, says 3. I love 3. 3? I don't know One. why. I just one it. and two. I had to leave the room for three in the very beginning because it made me so <laughs> tense. So I guess that's a strength. It's good. <laughs> it's, it's three. It's three. Just like the deaths are. It's like so, is it like the. It's a roller coaster, series? and yeah, it's yeah. just like oh. There's really just... not a bad one in the franchise. I don't think. You know? I mean, if you adhere to the gimmick, like the, like you said, the Rube Goldberg's thing. I mean, once again, that's an aesthetic in itself. You you really stick yeah. to that. I mean, I, that's why I like the Saw movies too. And Mike, do you have a favorite Final Destination? I'm learning right about now that I have not, I did not see any horror movie that was released between 2000 and 2009's Friday the 13th. I think oh, that's, wow. a, that's a big dead spot for me because I did not see any of the Final Destination films. So, you, you, so you, this is this Black Christmas, the tank top horror. You kind of missed a lot of that era. I, right? I did, yeah. you know, because I was such like, and we've talked about it ad nauseum on the Halloweenies podcast, how I was so into horror at such a young age that I'm kind of just ingrained in the certain aesthetics. I like the stuff from the 70s and the 80s and the early 90s. Mm. And then by the 2000s, I was 21. I was out drinking. I probably just missed all this. And none of it just, it, it all just looked like teeny bopper stuff to me. Yeah. So it just didn't appeal to me yeah. in my 20s. I mean, See, that's my jam. Like 90s horror is like, I love it, yeah. which is why I love Final Destination so much, even though I think it was 2000, but it's really indebted to those. 90s oh, yeah. It, I think it came, it came out in 2000, but it's certainly it's like those first two years of any decade feel more like the last decade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and once again, yeah, I feel, I feel like horror is always going to be a retrospective genre in its way. You know, I mean, there mm-hmm. are the good ones that come out in the moment. Right now, we're seeing a lot of this indie horror and A24, Neon, Amazon horror movies coming out uh, that are great. That are getting a lot of claim claim in the moment. It's think- hard to keep up with it. It's hard to keep up with it though because everything is. It seems like everything is just critically praised, as you said earlier in the episode. Everything's a classic. Everything's an A. Well, how do I figure out which one to watch? I what's going to be the classic? You know, how do I have to, do? I have to go through all these, and you know, a lot of the time, it's not an A. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But but I think we can all agree Black Christmas 2006 is an A. Uh, <laughs> Get the fuck mm. out of here. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. <laughs> but let, let's talk real quick. I, I think, um, but, well, or, so we talked about Eve, who is a red herring, the weirdo sorority sister, who I actually did want to see more of. I was like, she's she seems pretty interesting. We have Kyle, yeah. who we mentioned. 
did so we have uh, Mrs. Mack, who's the older house mother, who was played by Andrew Martin, who uh, Phyllis in the original film, who I lo- love as a character. Did, I, I remember she- being shocked when I first saw Black Christmas to see an Andrea Martin in it because I knew her from SCTV. Oh, and- she on SCTV with like Eugene Levy and Rick Moranis. Oh yeah, she started SCT- yeah. on SCTV in 76. And then uh, her big other horror, I guess, uh, film would have been, it's more of a horror comedy, was Ivan Reitman's Cannibal Girls with Eugene Levy, which came out uh, in 72 or 73. I have missed that. I missed that one. I've not seen Cannibal Girls. It's, it's, if you like SCTV, if you like Ivan Reitman, if you like weirdo Canadian cinema, uh, Cannibal <laughs> Girls is certainly worth a watch. Yeah, we get. A and cannibal- I know Eugene Levy is having a a moment right now. Yeah, with Shit's Creek and and everything. Yeah. Well, and so so Andrew Martin, I, I it, it's weird because they open on her character. I like Andrew Martin a lot, and I, I like the idea of the the older house mother. But we open on her, and I think this goes to what you were saying, Adrian, about the like the all the information is front load to the point where it gets confusing who we're supposed <laughs> to follow as being red herring. So they open on her after we see all the stuff of the mental institution. And she's just like telling this crazy ass story and getting really obsessed about giving a present to Billy. So I thought right from the gum, like, oh, this is either the mom or the sister. And we just don't know. Did you, Jen, what did you feel? Like, did you, for you, was that a red herring? And if so, is that a satisfying red herring? Or was it just like, what the hell is going on here in the beginning? It was what the hell is going on. I was Well, and also like, why are we in an institution? I don't want to see that. But yeah, the whole giving a gift to him felt very, very tone deaf. And I was not on board for that. But it's really just like, it feels like they're just throwing character spaghetti at the wall yeah. at a certain point. It's like, we keep seeing new people and I can't keep them straight. And I wonder too, if some of that comes from the weird structure of the movie where I feel like if you're going to do this flashback thing, Ugh. you either have to have it interspersed throughout, you know, like make it like a unifying thing throughout the whole movie that we're seeing these flashbacks or front load it, pre-credits, open up I, on, just just do that Christmas cookie scene. I don't need to see him having sex with his mom. I don't need to see <laughs> yeah. the 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 jaundice, all this other, I mean, he can have jaundice, but like I don't, it, <laughs> they, they devote Dan, so much time to Billy and it just gets confusing after. You must moment. have read my notes because that's exactly what I said about front loading the flashbacks. And most of it doesn't need to be a flashback you can no. just have one of these characters who apparently everybody knows the exact story of what happened in this house 20 years ago you could have had any of these characters just uh explain it if she yeah if she if it opens with her from in the house just going oh yeah well no we have to honor the the ghost or whatever you know he, and 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 if, if they're like oh he, didn't he make christmas cookies out of his mom and, yeah. and you can even show the flashback with that voiceover but we really do get a and once again it's not even like i'm like so grossed out by those scenes it more just makes the movie feel i don't know where i'm supposed to where am i right now where yeah and so i like andrew martin in this but i yeah i was i was sort of it was a red herring not in a in a in a good way for me but adrian yeah what what, because you meant you're the first one to mention that what were your thoughts on her and my uh, mine more specifically was on the terrible revenge porn red herring, but we can get to that later. Oh, Jesus. Uh-huh. But, <laughs> but with this, yeah, what, what makes me a little crazy is it's just so much as-you-know dialogue. As you know, I grew up in this town, and this is a thing that happened, as you know. But So, like, there's a really easy fix there. Have a new sorority sister joining midway through the year. So you've got the fish out of water angle or, you know, mm-hmm. or like you said, be more stylized with it and just cut to it. Just stop beating around the bush and trying to tie it together. It just makes 
it highlights the unnecessary nature of these remakes. Mm -hmm. And this yes. one is not the only one that has that problem. There are a lot we could we could point to. It doesn't ruin my enjoyment of the film, but it makes my eye twitch. Yeah. Since since you mentioned it, and we're on Red Herrings anyway, and we, we really only have one more set of prominent characters to get through after this, and they are definitely a set. They're their mother and <laughs> brother and whatever. What, what, yeah, let's talk about the re revenge porn really quick. I had, I had actually kind of forgotten about. I mean, I remember the cheating, but I, for, I had forgotten that that's supposed to be red herring until you mentioned it. Yeah, what are your, what are your thoughts on the revenge porn in this yeah, movie? Let's see. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's interesting. All three films have like a a male or boyfriend centric red herring, right? Mm -hmm. Peter in the first one, and. I, whether Peter's the killer or not, open the pod bay doors and throw him into the sun. Mm -hmm. um, he's horrible, but, Peter. Yeah. In, a, in a great way. I mean, it, it yeah. works for oh, the he's movie. The, worst. the goalie he's is a much nicer dude. Everybody should be hanging out with that guy. Yeah, in the coat. In the coat, yeah. When he goes in there and yells at the police, oh, that's, that's one <laughs> of my favorite like parts when, of that film. I think sometimes, too, you know, the worst guys, they don't always look like, I mean, yeah, there are awful frat dudes like we've seen the 2019 ones but i feel like i've known more scumbags like peter in the first one the the guy who thinks yeah. he's like intelligent and talented and oh, that's mm -hmm. the worst yeah, yeah that's like, yeah yeah, yeah. i've but, dated uh, those we, guys before he, he, i believe they call him a fuck <laughs> they might call him a fuck boy he might be yeah a fuck i told him fuck boy turtleneck fuck boy in the first one yeah but uh the best kind <laughs> yeah but Adrian, yeah At what else are you gonna say Adrian, stylish yeah, about, about it about the uh, about that being a unified theme Oh, sure. Yeah. Hal 9000 had it right, maybe, yeah. about. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's so half-baked. It doesn't make any sense, which is, Dan, I know exactly why you forgot about it, because it's like, there's, it's, is it Kelly even? I can't remember. I think it's uh, Kelly who okay. discovers it, and it's her boyfriend, but it's not really, like, there's a lot to, un much to yeah. unpack. So he filmed himself sleeping with the sorority sister and then he claims someone else put it on the line oh, but it was and allow before. me to interrupt for a, a moment yeah. with the great that great line of dialogue i did not put this on the net right yeah. oh okay Boom. makes Boom. it better Case you're okay closed. Yeah. right Case closed. um but like Ugh. then there's all this lack of nuance where it's like well they weren't the kelly and he weren't dating when he slept with this other girl so what are we really talking about and how is and then all of a sudden he's just furious and then he says something crazy mike do you have the the line up because <laughs> mike, do you have he the script <laughs> if you have, you have the quotes right you might have i, I have quotes. that i had that one i did not put this on the net was just like oh my god not only does his date this movie oh uh, yeah. horribly but, but the says... way he delivers it i will say one thing about that whole segment though there's one bit where there is some palpable tension that I like where they walk into the room and you're kind of afraid. Like, I don't know if you're afraid he's going to, she's going to see it, but when the screensaver clicks over real fast, like mm -hmm. that was, I thought that was pretty clever. Yeah. And there's a lot of like themes there. The screensaver is an eye with wings. And eyeballs, and, you know, yeah. Yeah. Eyes looking voyeurism. The thing that drives me crazy about the revenge porn thing is kind of a thing that I notice in Scream 3 now that I watch, which are both Dimension films and the Weinsteins have involvement in. <laughs> oh, and Jesus. there is the, like we said, I mean, not to go too deep into it. No, but, like, but it's like, yeah. Yeah. There, so we set up this thing, this premise that is a terrible thing of toxic masculinity. And then we have a character 
get excused for it. Like we have him, he's let off the hook because he wasn't the one who put it on. We won't even date or like we weren't even dating at the time. And so there's the element of erasing all of the tension there. And it's almost, it almost feels like they ran the script past him and they were like, hold on, we gotta, we gotta cut this tension because, <laughs> because I mean, why I'm not going like, to speculate. Why are, you making, but... why are you making this guy out to be the villain? He's exactly. Just, he's he's clearly just a harmless hero. young man yep. out to have some fun. I don't see man. what the problem with him is. It, right. I always forget exactly. that the dimension was like the, yeah, it's like a subsidiary, I guess, of the Weinstein Company, right? And it, yeah. it sucks because I love so many Dimension films. And Me I think, too. I think we can. I still love so many Miramax them. films. I, I know, like, yeah. I, and I, th- I think we can still enjoy them. But it is just it's like, man, yeah. I really did touch. We every truly movie. live in the age, and calling Harvey Weinstein an artist is a stretch. But we live truly live in the golden age of separating the art from the artist. Yes. Yeah, back in the '90s, before we were, we were, we, none of us knew. I mean, I guess, I mean, yeah. I guess a lot of us knew apparently, but um, Ben Affleck knew, but uh, we. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and it's notable because we've got bookends by the 2019 version and the 74 version where Mm -hmm. you've got these terrible men doing these things who are not let off the hook and are very much presented as the villain. And then we've got this one in the middle who is, I guess, the hero and maybe the tragic death. Like, she's very upset when he dies in the attic. And, you know, it's just it's. Oh, that's where he dies. Yeah. I couldn't oh, even yeah. remember it for a minute. I, well, it's because the bags over the head, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of bags in, those, in, in this one, too. Because the first one is just the one bag, but there, you get a lot of them here. I, I have to bag, say, a little bag goes a long way. Yeah, we'll talk about that when we talk about effects. I have yeah, yeah, yeah. I got some I thoughts on that, too. <laughs> I, the, the revenge porn thing, I don't know if this makes me a horrible person. I have to be honest. The two women, to, to your point before about them, look... I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell if the woman in the beginning was watching a sex tape of herself or her friend. Right. I really couldn't. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. "Oh, is she just getting off on it watching a sex tape of her own boyfriend?" Look at and me. Then, look yeah. at me go, man. Yeah, I was yeah. good that day. And but her Hell expression yeah. is just deadpan. So I was like, "Wait, what? Is, like, what is this?" But and, and we don't know the characters at all yet at that point, really. And they, right. because the cat, they all look the same. It, it really did. Uh, yeah, I think that was to the movie's detriment. Yeah. All right, we're we're at, we're at the the two most important characters. And I think we can fold the mom and the stepmom in this if we want to. Let's just do that. Um, Billy and Agnes. Uh, so once again, the, I think the movie's boldest choice is actually revealing who the killer, or in this case, killers are in from the first film. I mean, I don't think it's, I don't, the, I don't think the movie is going, oh yeah, this is who was doing it in the first film. But they, it takes these phone calls from the first movie, which were just gibberish made up by Bob Clark on the phone, which I think is why it's so scary. Just these characters of Billy and Agnes. That to, back to the Halloweenies, or not Halloweenies, the original Halloween, it's their gibberish that scares me. What uh, yes, exactly. Marion says. The, the pig noises, the, the just the, like the, the kind of garbled thing. And what Morgan, Glenn Morgan did for this was take the names Billy and Agnes, which get mentioned in the first film, once again, for no real reason it's just what they came up with and gives them a whole backstory and what a backstory um just to recap for you listeners billy was born with jaundice um abusive mother who has sex tries to have sex with her the uh, her lover and um goes upstairs and has sex with her kid billy instead then gives birth to agnes who is billy's daughter slash sister Billy become, gets abused, becomes a killer. Agnes apparently joins in with him. Uh, Billy gouges at her eye. Billy takes <laughs> Christmas cookie cutouts. After he bludgeons his mom with a rolling pin, makes human flesh Christmas cookies, eats them, get arrested, then kills a bunch of people. That's who they are. I guess my big <laughs> question for you all. <laughs> Slow clap. Well done. In a walnut <laughs> shell for a nutcracker. Yeah. Uh, ah. Excuse me, could you repeat that for me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, my big question for the three of you is uh, in the movie on its own terms, this over the top grotesque remake, 
it, are the killers scary and effective in this movie? Jen, let's start with you. I do think that they are scary and effective. I have a lot of thoughts about them existing in this film at all, but I do think that they are scary. They are almost too scary. Like there's a garishness that is really mm -hmm. off-putting to me, which is one of the big detractors. I do, yeah, I do find them effective. I really hate the storyline though, because I mean, can I, I, I hate to keep comparing it, but like the no, thing no, that please, I love about the original is that we don't find out who the killer is. So the killer is, basically a stand-in for like the patriarchy or this mm -hmm. fear that women live with every day and or like intrusion on female spaces and so just by the killers existing in this movie we lose that which you know it's fine make your own choices movie that's fine but what it does now <laughs> is it essentially blames their killings on a woman because she was a terrible oh, mother which I hate and that yeah. mom is so and men are always blaming her mom too that's i know <laughs> lots of people have bad moms and they don't become killers but yeah, yeah. and well yeah and, and they and i think you hit the nail on the head for me and once again i'm not i am not saying that there aren't horrific stories i mean we just talked about edmund kemper there are people who do get abused to this degree and have to deal with this much hardship yeah. Do I want to watch a movie that so explicitly goes for it? And I don't but, think it's handled you know, you're talking about it. You're talking about it being explicit. It's like, but it's done in such a heightened way that it's so unbelievable. It's almost comical. It's almost yeah. camp. It is with, cartoonish. Yeah. With all the heightened lighting and all that. Yeah. And I will say too, I, it's funny because I, I, I feel like we've actually kind of exclusively ragged on the this movie and there are some things i really like about it i mean i do admire its yeah. boldness you mentioned the lighting just now i i do like the overall set design i love i love how they use I, I actually feel like this movie does lean on the tropes of christmas in a much more macabre interesting amusing kind of way than the original black christmas does like you see you see a dude you see billy at the well, end get impaled on the christmas tree you see cannibalistic um gingerbread cookies it's taking both films are would probably have done better with audiences both black christmas 2019 and 2006 had they just been released as silent night dead night sequels because i think they have more in yeah. common with those movies exactly than yeah they do the black christmas films and it's yeah. and, and so it's weird it's like i don't even hate i actually kind of like the gingerbread eye gouging flashback because it's just so over the top and it's it, it does have style to it it's lit well and all that but once again, I think it's the plate, the way it's placed. It just, it, it becomes a little muddled and confusing for me. But yeah, I, I don't know. But I think that's enough. That is such an extreme scene. I don't think we need to see Billy having sex with his mom. I don't think we need to see him getting made fun of as a little baby. I don't think we need to see all the rest of it that comes before that. Um, and I agree. I, th I think they are, there are actually some effective scares in this movie. And I think him and Agnes are scary in that kind of garish Texas chainsaw massacre way. Um, that maybe is a little bit at odds with the, the rest of the movie. Um, I, I'm like, what else were you going to say about? Well, I, I was going to ask, like, is this, I mean, this it's, it's worth noting that this film makes all the same mistakes of another controversial remake from this mm -hmm. era. Uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween. of oh, trying yeah. to explain <laughs> everything away. Now yeah. the director, Glenn Morgan, I believe has gone on record and said that he didn't want to do all that. And that was yeah. Harvey Weinstein's hand coming in. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I like him. I like him. Him just, be, especially nowadays. Now that we know what we do with the wine, she's like, "No, no that was Harvey." <laughs> like, <laughs> right. yeah, he did all that shit. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I and I think it, yeah. it's too campy to be scary. But it's not 
it's not wild enough to be, you know, extreme high camp. I guess this has a camp quality to it. It's just not the kind of thing that I dig. Like you said about the set design, though, I did appreciate that, but nobody would ever decorate their house like that. And I know we're, <laughs> I, I'm all for suspending disbelief, and I don't think you have to have logic, especially in horror films at all times, but it's it, it just none of it made sense to me. Yeah. Well, Adrian, what about you? What are your thoughts on B- Billy slash Agnes? And, uh, are, are, are they scary? Do they belong in this movie? Are they scary maybe without the context of this movie? Yeah, just uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, complete echoes of Jen and Mike with uh, the the shift from unknowable killer to tragic victim. That was like the vibe of the t- of that decade. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I visually, the like Sin City jaundice choice works for me. Um, <laughs> I thought about Sin City too, that that yellow yeah. mask. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm everything in my brain says don't say this, but I'm going to. Um, <laughs> is that there are only two places where incest is inevitable, and it's Pornhub and horror movies. And I'm okay, <laughs> I'm okay with it being in this film. I don't think they did it right. Like I, I yeah. love horror paperbacks. Um, you know, there are really <laughs> effective uses of that in a lot of horror paperbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pin. Which was a movie Pin Plastic Nightmare? They made oh, wait, that's what is a good this? one. Wait, was it, wait, I'm always I'm always on the on the hunt for new recommendations. What was that Pin Pin? It's called. Yeah, it, the movie is called Pin Plastic Nightmare. The okay. book is just called Pin. It's by Andrew Niederman, who um, is the ghostwriter for VC Andrews. Or, yeah, VC Andrews. I books. didn't know VC yeah. Andrews had a ghostwriter. I, mean, I think VC Andrews only wrote like three books to tell you the she truth. She did, right? She passed really? away. She she had can- I believe it was cancer. She was um, a pretty ill woman by the time she started mm-hmm. writing her, her books um, are the ones that always have like the mirror and then you open the right it's like the circle thing yeah. it's like a yeah, fun yeah. Flowers, in speaking, okay. speaking speaking of speaking of <laughs> flowers in the attic right Flare. and that's exactly why i brought it up it's a very <laughs> uncomfortable topic i'm i'm a masochist so i love really uncomfortable topics that is one that is really squicky and if done right it, it could really be an effective conversation starter. I agree with for that. I agree with that. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Well, and, I, I think and the porn hub. It, por it doesn't work here, though. It doesn't work <laughs> no. here because it's so half baked. It makes I no mean, sense and it doesn't honestly, matter. Yeah. It feels, I hope I don't get in trouble for this. It, you brought up Pornhub. The way she does it almost does feel a little Pornhub. It's just like, oh, <laughs> well, my husband or my lover, or whatever, he's passed out. Got well, who's next? Oh, hey, there. You know, there. It, it could actually be genuinely disturbing if it was. Done. I, actually, for real, I just watched uh, all the Psycho movies. Um, Psycho Four, which four, I, four brings up a similar. lot of that stuff. The, the incest in that movie is I, it sounds weird to say, but it's done very organically. Like it shows, it, it actually shows what their relationship is like and the weird blurring of lines before the actual sex takes place in it. And then, so when it does happen, it's almost more disturbing because it actually shows them being close at points and it ties back to phobias that Norman and his mother have. And whereas in this, it's literally just like, this dude's passed out. I'm going to go up to the attic now and fuck my right. son. It's like, Jesus. And it comes like, off of a story where she hated him and didn't yes. want to be around him. And yeah, yeah exactly. It's, so it just, it's, like, it's, oh, another dick in the house. Here we go. <laughs> exactly. so, so it kind of feels like the porn hub of like the, like, oh, like, oh, oh mother a- fucks her stepson. Or well, Adrian, right. let's add, let's add lit Rodica to that list of places where it's effective. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Absolutely. Oh, I love yeah. how if 
effectively I can torpedo my introduction to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we, we, yeah, we, we don't want to. Oh, no, we, you've just opened up the gate. You're going to find out all sorts of weird stuff about the Halloweenies yeah. now. <laughs> we, Yay. Uh, a, a, a defining trait of Halloweenies and Losers Club Um and if we're on psychoanalysis, we do it to that sometimes. <laughs> so, you know, it's going on these kind of tangents a little bit. And going oh, yeah. It. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all in great fun, especially when it involves a uh, uh, lit erotica, V.C. Andrews and <laughs> sweaters. Uh, yeah. yes, and then and, and sweater hunks, for sure. Okay, cool. All right. So we, we talked about Billy and Agnes. And yeah, and I agree, too. I do, do think the, I think that even the way they're presented, not from like a human standpoint, but from that Texas Chainsaw Hills Have Eyes um, you know, redneck Rob Zombie porn kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Here, you know, here's a good question to that, though. Do yeah. you find them tragic? Because I don't. Because it's so uh, no. campy and so uh, borderline comical, it's hard to even, yeah. uh, what do I say, find remorse or at least uh, empathize with Billy. When, yeah, and I think... No, you get you go ahead. Yeah, which I think is part of what the problem is when you base your fictional killer on a real life serial killer. Because Ed Kemper was actually he was kept in the basement, not the attic. His mother claimed mm-hmm. that he thought he was going to hurt his sisters. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if there's any sort of incest in that story, but you know he was called the co-ed killer. Like I think he's a sociopath. He's an insane killer, and it's hard to then create. I, it just—it's a tricky thing to use as your source material, is yeah. how I take that. When especially too, and yeah, you know, I haven't watched Mindhunter. I've only—I've literally read Ed Kemper's um, Wikipedia page. You know, he horrible as he is, he's a human. He has layers, right? Um, there's yeah. pathos to it. There's there seems to be actually be a lot written about him, why he did what he did, and the psychology behind that, and everything. And we don't get any of that in this movie. Like I said, that, I think the Rob Zombie comparison is right on the money. And I, I, it's all I think surface it's, level. It's yeah, it's, and and I think a certain amount of that can go could, can go really far and does go really far in this movie. But yeah, we get so much of it, and it's in a very weird order that and it's, it, it's confusing. It's handled so poorly too. Like I actually don't mind the Rob Zombie. Um, version and if you're gonna do that I feel like he did it like reasonably well because there is an element of feeling sorry for Michael because of the way it's presented and I feel like we see his family here but it's just so so it, I keep saying cartoonish because it just feels so so well, like a caricature to, to the heightened mm-hmm. uh over over stylized shooting style of the film like it does look like a live action cartoon at times well and we don't even see his face either of their faces till the end which like i love in the original but if you're gonna present these killers and you're gonna tell us so much about them we can't see them as human if we don't actually see them there's just so much like othering and like infantilizing them that is just very it's really off-putting and it's, it's such a big part of the movie and the very first time i saw this it was a couple of years ago, and I just turned it off when I got to that first flashback because it's like I just I don't like this. This is yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, very, very yeah, grotesque. Like it says the word, and I I agree with you, Mike, about the the Silent Night Deadly Night comparison. It felt more <laughs> oh, like if this that. were Silent Night Deadly Night, this would have been six, and then Black Christmas twenty nineteen <laughs> would have been Silent Night Deadly Night seven. I, I think uh, the people would actually have more <laughs> respect yeah, for for, the for these films. Totally. Well, you had mentioned um, the way that how we don't see Billy and Agnes as adults till the very end and how they look. Um, this does tie into our next category because of some of the, the jaundiced prosthetics and all that. Um, this is a category we like to call great graphics. Ah! <laughs> what do you know? I beat my score. <laughs> 
Welcome to great graphics. I gotta say it like Freddy Krueger. I love that great graphics has survived the Nightmare on Elm Street season of (laughs) Halloweenies and has even made it over into the rental. I like, I was going to say, it's funny because we, a lot of the times we, we slightly alter these category names depending on what series we're covering. Right. And, and then we decide just to make them um, ubiquitous and evergreen. But yeah, we've kept that one, <laughs> which is such a thing from Nightmare on Elm Street, but hey, it works. Um, so this is where we talk about the effects work, uh, the blood and guts, the prosthetics, the makeup, all that good stuff. Um, there's a lot of it in this movie. We see viscera. We see a lot of eyeballs. Was, I don't think it was. Was this film released in 3D at all? Because I felt like a lot of the shots were leaning on that. A <laughs> I know, bit. I think I, this, eyeballs right, right there. Oh no, this would have been after, and this would have been after the kind of 3D Renaissance. He was around the Avatar right the time and all that. Yeah, yeah. but, but I, I no, I don't recall was. this being released in 3D. But there are a lot. Of, like I think all the eyeballs coming out just felt like 3D to me. But um, mm. yeah, so that we actually get, um, especially compared to the original, a lot of blood, a lot of gore um, in this film. What did you all think that was effective? And if so, what was your what was your favorite like piece of uh, gore or or makeup in this? Uh, we'll start with you, Adrian. Um, effective in so far as it's fun. I would say yeah. for me, but like that is just such a, another sign of the times as we're talking about looking mm-hmm. at retrospective times. It's just like the unhinged compulsion to be extra for no reason. Like if one bag was good in 74, let's have a thousand bags, you know, <laughs> let's pull out the eyes too. It's just, um, yeah, it's just really extra and I don't understand why, but it was very much a mark of the time. What What was your, if you had to choose, uh, um, one effect to keep from this movie what would it be the christmas tree full of heads yeah <laughs> that's great yeah it looks good i love I, that. I, I will say but the, i mean something yeah there's the context of like how it was used in the scene but then there's just the execution right and we always bring this up but i gotta say I, I watch a lot of these older perhaps lesser horror movies but in the age of seeing cgi digital blood in good horror movies like in, in horror movies i really like I am reminded how much I just like seeing some nasty, slimy, glistening guts and severed heads on a Christmas tree. And I think that yeah. this film does it well. Uh, Jen, what about you? What, what comments, thoughts, and favorites of the the great graphics of, of this film? Well, the, and this is a personal preference for me. I do not love a ton of gore in movies. Um, and I do, I'm not saying it's bad because... There, there's some like I do love that Christmas tree. That's my favorite effect, and the the impaling and the Christmas tree at the end yes. is very like hand that rocks the cradle for me, and I was really yeah. into it. Um, but what I don't like, I I hated how they used the plastic bags, and that is in the original. Sorry, it's one of like the a death that's really upsetting to me because it's so mm-hmm. simple and it's so horrifying. And here, like, yes, they use a plastic bag, but then they stab them a bunch and ripping the eyes out. It's like, no, 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 you, <laughs> j- you just the plastic bag and just do it once, and then it's effective. And what we have, like, she's got like a supersized pack of hefty bags up in the attic, and she's going through them. Like, she kills like ten people with that, and it's just it's yeah. overkill, if it's, you will. You brought up a good point too. What's the point of doing the plastic bag if you're just going to puncture it and give an air source anyway? It's right? just I mean, the IP, I mean, you, know, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that is a good point. Yeah, and when, from what I remember, I mean, I, I didn't sit there with a stopwatch, but in, when, because it's it's um, Mrs. Mack who gets killed with the plastic bag in the first one, right? It's Claire. Or, Mrs. Or, or, Mack oh, is the sorry, hook. Oh, yeah. that's right. That's right, man. I need. To, I actually haven't watched the original. Rewatched the original this year. I need to. Um, but yeah, from what I remember, the plastic bag is it goes on kind of long in the original, right? It's like it an elongated, you're seeing, okay, what does it mean for someone to, 
get killed this way and suffocate. Which is so upsetting. And yeah. it's opportunity too, because he's in the closet. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I really like. Like um, the unicorn is kill is because it's right next to Barb on her bed. And the hook is because it's up there. Like it just gives this, di- like there's not really a motive or a, an MO to Billy in the first one, which I like because that's scarier. Like this person is just standing here and he's going to use whatever is around him to murder me rather mm-hmm. than like, if he doesn't have a special stabby thing, like I'm probably okay until I can find it, you know? Yeah, totally. But, um, uh, wait, did you? What do you say your favorite one was? The oh, the Christmas tree heads. Right? I, I think the Christmas tree impaling at the end. Although I think it's a strong. It's one of the things I like that there are two Christmas tree related effects that are yeah impressive. I, you know? Yeah, I'm tempted to say the one at the end just because I like that that's the final shot and they, we don't really see any fallout from it. I actually think that's a pretty bold <laughs> move, and I, I I like the. I don't know. The, the movie is so extra and I do like at the end, it's like, okay, we could have just seen the Christmas tree be like, no, we're going to have more guts just slide right. down. Like a gross effect. I think that is uh, uh, pretty cool. But um, yeah, uh, the, but well, I'll save my favorite one for a second. Vanderbilt, what about you? What do you like the effects in this movie? And if so, what, what are your favorite? What, or even I, if you don't like them? What no, you when I, when I talk about horror movies, I feel like I contradict myself all the time because <laughs> I, I pine for films like the original black Christmas that have that deliberate pacing and not a lot of gore and, it's more about t- tension and suspense and atmosphere. But then I also just spent a whole year talking about the Friday the 13th movies. I, and say, I feel like you like, a lot, you like a lot of hot trashy. I do. I love trash. I love trash. But like, I do feel like, and one of the things I didn't like about this era of filmmaking was this, the, the postmodern slasher, which came from the scream fallout. And I do love the first scream. I, it's just like everything that came afterward and a little bit kind of everything that came after Friday the 13th. You know, I like it, but it's hard to call it good. But, you know, when you have a memorable death, a memorable death is worth talking to people about. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the gore is over the top in this one. And I do sort of appreciate that uh, to Jen's point. Like, I don't think gore is bad. I just don't always think it's necessary. Mm-hmm. But I prefer it when it's a little bit more original or a little bit more like uh, something like Screaming Mad George would do, where there's more imagination to it. Um Two best deaths in a movie, though, are the Christmas tree, as you guys mentioned, when he slides down at the end. And just ending on that, because even the hospital scene is too much of an epilogue. Like, it probably yeah. should have just ended in the house. And Agreed. that's something I appreciate about older older films, that there's no epilogue. It usually, the killer dies, like, all the great Hammer movies, the mm-hmm. credits roll. And yeah. there's something I love about that, and I, I wish we'd bring that. We don't talk enough about how we should bring that back. Well, yeah. And they could have but, done the Christmas tree death in the house too. There was a Christmas tree yeah, there. To, yeah, to, the whole multiple the whole stories, hospital yeah. segment seems like why why well, why is this why this movie already feels long at eighty yes. minutes? Why are you, why is it not why over yet? <laughs> when also too the way they just leave the you know I I know sort of a trademark of any horror movie is the um oh yeah the house blows up with the killer in it we oh, like Halloween too yeah we're gonna trust that they're dead but in this one the explosion the fire whatever it's it's such a non-start it, it just it feels yeah. so anticlimactic they don't do anything to really show the killers or, or they don't do any kind of, for a movie that has that many red herrings they really don't do a lot to show that the killers probably perished in the house and so so when they get to the hospital you're like ah they're both they're both gonna be there still and i do like the way they come out of the you know ceiling with yeah. it, but it, but it, yeah, best, it, it feels a little unearned the best best death is trackenberg getting it with the ice skate Mm, yeah. Oh, that one's good nice. too. And it's got a real nice, like you see the blood, the see basically the face gets cut off and hit the mirror or hit the window, and then you see all the 
the Gru and Gore uh, of her faceless head. Because uh, having watched it twice this month, that was the only one that I remembered going into <laughs> the second watch. The yeah. one that I remember, we, and I, I don't know if it's just because it involves an actor from the original, but the, Mrs. Mack getting the icicle through the, the head, I actually thought that was pretty effective and, and clean. I, I like that it was quick, it was clean, but still memorable. But not as good as when it happened on Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. Oh, did that happen on Grey's Anatomy? The only Grey's Anatomy episode I've seen, I think it was one of the earliest ones. I didn't even see the whole thing. I just saw the end where the, someone has a bomb inside them and Kyle, pre-Friday, it lights Kyle Chandler. Yeah. Um, he's like my wife's like crush, like, like hardcore. Um, he, <laughs> he takes a, a bomb out of the person and he's walking out the corridor with it and they're playing that song. It's like, just breathe. And then it blows up, which I thought was a pretty, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the post Super Bowl episode. I think that was that's, I think that's why I watch why I saw it. Cause yeah, we were probably watching the Super Bowl from where, I mean, I don't know. I have no opinions on that show, but I did like that. Sequence. <laughs> I was watching football. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I watched football later with him with uh, uh, Friday Lights. Love that show. Oh yeah, mm. yeah, that's great. All right, so we're yeah. I, th- I think that's a, a. I think that was a great discussion about great graphics. <laughs> we're um, we're going to uh, go. Now this is this is a creative name. If we're going with DVD titles, um, we're going to next to a a category we like to call scene selection. Have you heard about this videotape that kills you when you watch it? What kind of tape? A tape. A regular tape. People run it. I don't know. You start to play it, and it's like somebody's nightmare. Welcome to Scene Selection. I think our our quickest category, no matter what movie we're talking about, literally we just do a round robin and we, we say our favorite scene. I'm just going to kick it off because we've talked a lot about it already. I've got to go with that gingerbread cookie scene. I, I don't like the placement of it. I don't like that it comes after a bunch of other... Um, you know, hillbilly origin crap. <laughs> we just had that scene in the movie and that's all we knew about Billy and Agnes. I think that the the bludgeoning with the rolling pin gives Dolores Claiborne a run for its money. I think the idea of cutting, using those little, little cheap, you know, metal cutouts that I used for cookies growing up to make someone's flesh into cookies, I think is really effective. I, I think if we just had that, a little bit goes a long way. And I, 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 that's a scene I enjoy independently of this movie. If we're talking about what we're going to remember, that's what I'm going to remember. Um, that is my preferred scene. Adrian, what is yours? My favorite is actually the voyeur shower scene. So I can't, you know, blonde girl number 72, the drunk <laughs> one. Um, she throws up right after the um, botched revenge porn subplot. And uh, I really, it's a, it's a nice it's a good scene for me because I don't feel like it's overly pervy in how it's viewing her mm-hmm. showering and all of this, but it's really effective for me in the revelation of the tiles coming yes. up and not only one hole, there are two, three, four, like the, you get this creeping um, sense of dread as you realize how many places there are mm-hmm. to be viewed in this house. Mm-hmm. I, I really like it. There were probably two people viewing her. Billy and Agnes, because they're two killers in this movie. I actually, it's funny, because we've seen a lot of the peeping Tom peeking in on someone getting undressed, showered, as far back as Psycho. But I feel like it's usually done vertically through the wall. We see that, too, in this movie poster, the thumbtack coming out. This is one of the only ones where I feel like it's coming from below. And yeah, that actually was Mm -hmm. pretty surprising to me. And chipped tile always freaks me out, because I'm always afraid someone's going to cut themselves on it anyway. So yeah, totally. 
that scene. Uh, Vanderbilt, what is your favorite scene of this film? Had a hard. T- I was thinking about this right now, and I'm still having a hard time. But I think the opening <laughs> like the, of the yeah. film, where you get that shot of the house, I, I I love aesthetics, and I really think, at least in the opening, they capture that sense of Christmas really well with that jazzy Christmas tune playing. And I'm blanking on which one it was. Well, I think it sets a tone for a movie that you don't really get because it kind of opens up as like, okay, if the first Black Christmas is this terror, ultra terrifying, like get on your skin kind of thriller, we're going to give you something a little more wild and fun. And I think it tries that, but it doesn't. Jen, what about you? Favorite scene in a movie that is full of favorite scenes? Oh, yeah, man. I had a... a- <laughs> A naughty and nice column going, and the naughty column is very much longer. Um, I really liked the car death scene, and it was it was very less is more, which I appreciate. And like, um, I just have this obsession with snow too, and I love the snow that is in this movie. It's very effective and very like Christmassy to me. Um, and I love that we don't see it. And this is an effective use of the eye thing for me. Like I, it's like an eye fetish movie. You know, they're all over the place. But this one where she's scraping and she sees the eye peeking through, I thought that was a really creative nod to the original. I just wish we hadn't seen the same kind of thing so much. But yeah, and that we don't see terrible gory death from Elizabeth Mary, Mary Elizabeth Winstow. I don't know. She and she, I know, man, it kills me. It, I mean, I, I like all these actors, but her especially, I think she's especially good. And and once again, I don't, I'm hesitant to say wasted because I don't think their performances are bad, but I, yeah. I want a little bit of better she's, drama. She's yeah. pretty good in it, but that, uh, that Southern accent is kind of yes. painful. Not, yeah, not yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I just realized, did we, t- did we even talk about the sister who came by? I, I, I feel like we kind of The Final Destination her. sister? Yeah, yeah I feel was, like you could so have, con- she could have combined her. She could have been Andrea Martin's role. Like, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, no, I, it's. It, it seems weird that she like makes it so long. So I just realized how, how much we gloss over a lot of these characters. What if one of us had said, I, I just really love the inner drama between the women and the Oh, the right. Women. The sisters. I cry Excellent. every time they open the present. You know? Yeah. yeah. No. You did talk about the snow. I mean, this one was filmed in Canada. What was It looked like real snow to me, I think, for most of the movie, right? I could be wrong. Oh, it was some effect that was really sticky and got in everybody's hair. Really? Oh, was it really? Yeah. Hmm. I do appreciate I, good snow. Oh wait, was it what? No, no, no. Was okay, it, no you're um, fine. Dehydrated potato flakes. Oh, they really? use that a lot. What did they? Yeah. Use? There's a famous movie where they use that. It's a Wonderful Life. I, I can't remember. I don't know. I worked on a low budget film where they use it, and it was a nightmare. Really? I know, like, it made me hungry. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that would make me hungry. I mean, real snow goes a long way in a movie. Like I think of Home Alone, and um, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. well, I don't know because so much of Gremlins was shot on a soundstage, but it looks like real snow um when we see billy's house yeah i don't know i just watched that movie um better watch out which i really enjoyed but i I like that one too yeah but it sucks because that there's that one scene in the very beginning where it's clearly they went to a town with with snow in it you know like where she's driving (laughs) and then the rest of the movie i think was filmed in australia and so the rest of the house when you're the snow just it just you can tell it's like a going back to porn how about it almost looks like a porn set house a little <laughs> bit, you know? I, lo- I really like i like snow the movie oh you don't have any furniture in here snow that's hub. nice yeah, exactly no pictures like, on the wall i really liked i did like that movie quite a bit but because they have great real snow in the beginning then they go to like kind of fake snow outside in a house that is clearly not in the northeast or the midwest um yeah just i was thinking that anyway yeah well, you know what? I'm going to make an executive decision and skip the next. And it's a shame because we it's Christmas. There was a good pun to be had with candy. But the next section is usually called Candy Isle. 
where we talk about merch associated with this, I look, for, I even look for some, I look for like black Christmas, 2006 action figures and <laughs> ice skates. And I, oh. other than the, the Blu-ray DVD, I, does anyone have anything to Let's just talk, talk about, about the that? great black pins that they offered for the 1974 classic that we probably should have just talked to you about for this episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 1974 is black Christmas. that just said, uh, uh, what was that? What'd they say? It was like, uh, this year's going to be a black Christmas in, in stark white letters. And mm. they were terrific pins and they were very cool. Yeah. I, d- I don't know. I'm trying to, th- I mean, I guess you could have done some, if the movie was a wild success, you could have sold some tie-in cookies, some human yeah. cookie dough or something like that. But yeah. I don't, eyeball I swear, ornaments. Yeah. Mm. I bought, you know what? I would actually, I would get an eyeball ornament from this. Movie <laughs> we're big Christmas ornament people. So yeah, unless, unless anyone has, um, any merchandise that we're missing. Um, even I would, you know, they didn't, they did not screen this movie for critics when it came out. So we wouldn't I love have that any... that's part of the trivia in internet movie. Is, this movie <laughs> yeah. did not screen for critics. No shit. <laughs> yeah. Which isn't, yeah. Which is pretty common for a lot of horror movies, but yeah. So even if, cause I'm like, Oh, maybe they did some advanced screening merch, but um, yeah, they really didn't. Well, let's move on to our final, our final category then check out. Get him out of here. Bye. I'll fix you, Venkman. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to get you a nice fruit basket. I'm going to miss him. All right. We are on our final category. This is really just where we do our our final thoughts and we give it our star rating. Um, I'll start it off. As I said, I really do like a lot of the aesthetic choices in this movie as far as the Christmas atmosphere goes. Um, I don't even mind some of the ludicrous outlandish history we get backstory for the killer. I don't like the placement of it. I don't think there's enough drama between the women or the main characters of the film to the point where we care about them but I don't think it's without its qualities and, and I like those effects. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to, yeah, it's the holidays. It's I'm going to be generous. I'm going to give two and a half, let's say candy canes, two and a half candy canes for this film. Uh, Adrian, what are your thoughts on the movie? I'm so glad you said candy canes. Cause I was planning to say candy canes too. Yes, so we're on, the, we're on the same <laughs> wavelength. Um, I feel the same way. This movie is a hot mess. It is just, <laughs> somebody needs to, give it a shower and put it to bed um (laughs) so that that's what it is right but i I still enjoy it for some reason i don't know why i wouldn't necessarily seek it out to watch just any old day but it definitely holds a place in my holiday horror loving heart so i will give it two candy canes and one bloody um box cutter from silent night deadly night (laughs) (laughs) excellent reading jen what about you um, I was not a fan of this. Um, uh, there's this, there, there I, I was trying to figure out where to put this, but there's like a clue vibe to it where everything is so sinister, but it's like, it's clue, but they don't realize it's supposed to be funny. And so it's not, and it just is so, it's very, it feels very tonally disjointed to me. Um, I am, I'm fine with remakes and do it, make it different if you want to. I'm not one of those people that says, oh, it's different. But the changes they made reversed what I loved about the original. And that's really hard for me to get over. There's just so much of this movie that I don't want to watch. And that said, the snow and the Christmas is great. So like they, I like the, the vibe, the Christmassy vibe. So I'm going to give it a half star for that. So one and a half candy canes is my right so we're we're probably like a two candy cane average right now yeah (laughs) uh what's the vanderbilt what's the bring us home what's the final candy cane count gonna be you know looking back at the uh behind the scenes drama on this and wondering well what did writer director glenn morgan bring to it what did 
Harvey Weinstein bring to it is kind of fascinating if it's Monday morning quarterbacking or if uh, Morgan just didn't have any clue what to do because he was such a fan of the original film. In fact, Bob Clark was on the set for a lot of this film. Mm. And he, he, he passed away just after seeing that. Uh, draw your own conclusions from that, Uh-oh. I suppose. <laughs> and hey, but Bob Clark, I killed him like a like a drunk driver killed him or something. Didn't he? Oh. I think he did. No, yeah, it was a lot it was considerably more tragic. But it this movie's just I see why maybe somebody who would have seen this at 10 years old might have been in something special, but it's so overcrowded with characters. And it's such a it's so far removed from the original film, but still holding on to parts of it that it never gets to be truly original. Like maybe if it didn't mm-hmm. have the black Christmas moniker, this could have been something special if they had cut the cast in half, as I said earlier, if they had a better script. I just don't know what it's trying to do or say aside from just get a black Christmas movie out in 2006. And like I said, I'm again, I'm confounded by what Morgan was gonna be. And he said that if this movie was a failure, it would end his directing career. And so far it has, he has not gone back to it. He's continued writing, um, but I don't think this is a strong script that shows off what he can do. It's, I'm just never gonna watch it again. It's 100% forgettable. Um, I'll give it two antlers. <laughs> I think you didn't even go with the candy canes. That shows how bad. I think it's very generous then. Over a bit, two rusted out, burnt out antlers on somebody's yeah. fucking wall in somebody's I think that's rec a, room. A two count with whatever holiday object you want. That is 2006's Black Christmas. Uh, before we go, uh, something we always do, especially with our guests, is uh, plugs. Um, I'll just do the same old, same old. You can find me, DW Caffrey, on Instagram and Twitter, and my ASMR channel, Slay SMR. I also was recently on uh, an episode of Psychoanalysis uh, talking about Gremlins, which was great, yeah. great fun. Um, Adrian, where can we find you, and are you working on anything you would like to pe- uh, people to know about? Mm, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter mostly at Adrian underscore edits. Um, I'm write things at places and for some reason people allow me to do that so uh yeah if you want me to want to enjoy me saying weird things probably about Pornhub you know in the middle of podcasts you can find me there uh Jen what about you um well you can find me on psychoanalysis and the losers club and our reigning episode right now is Dan's gremlins episode and that was really fun Um, and we are also It was, yeah, it was really fun. Um, We're also about to drop on Christmas Day an episode on the original Black Christmas with Joe Lipset from Horror Queers. So that was a lot of fun, too. We talked a a lot about feminism in that episode, as I want to do. And then in January, we are going to be starting Depression as our theme for that month. And we're going to kick it off with the Babadook. So that was, we've already recorded it. And it was was a good episode, I think, not to toot our own horn. So check us out. You can find me at Jim Ferratu and Psycho Apod. Toot, toot. Baba Duke, that's the one you got to start. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Vanderbilt, uh, what, where can we find you? What do you want to plug? You can find me at Twitter, back on my bullshit, at Mike Vanderbilt. <laughs> uh, I'm programming movies at the Rock Island Public House Drive-In, the bar that I attend bar at. Uh, we installed a drive-in to stay in business during COVID, and I've been put in charge of the programming, and we've got some cool stuff coming up. This episode is dropping on Christmas, so if you listen to this, you can come down we're doing a Catherine Bigelow tribute weekend. Uh, we're screening Near Dark, which you can also find on a Halloweenies episode. And then we're doing uh, we're doing that on Saturday, and we're doing Point Break on Sunday. And aside from that, 
uh, you can catch me on Halloweenies in 2021, where I'm still kind of baffled by this, that everybody on our Instagram has no idea that we're doing the Scream series in 2021. <laughs> so I don't know if this is a spoiler for anybody, but we're doing the Scream series as well as uh, Randy's recommendations, where we'll be doing some one-off horror films that are mentioned throughout the series. Excellent. And speaking of 2021, uh, the, I believe the next episode of Halloweenies you can listen to uh, before all that is the ranking of the, the Friday the 13th series, which we're wrapping up. And of course, which may or may not be longer than the Irishman. We'll find yeah. out. <laughs> oh yeah. That's right. We got to, we'll have to keep that, that we got to keep that. <laughs> oh, that joke I'll tell you what, the Irishman's better than black Christmas. Uh, I, I think we can all say oh, that. Yeah. For sure. I think even Justin. Guaranteed. But the 1974 black Christmas is better than the Irishman. Yes. I would agree with that too. Also yeah. agree. That's yeah. a that's a that is that is a fair take for sure. Uh, carolers, trigger treaters, whatever you would like us to call you throughout the year. Thank you, thank you for another successful year of Halloweenies. We would be nothing without you. I know that's the cliche thing to say about podcasting, but it is absolutely true. Thank you for signing for our Patreon. Thank you for engaging with us on social media. Thank you for spreading the word. We are very much looking forward to seeing you. Um, back on the regular beat in 2021 and of course have a very safe happy safe i said safe twice but hey in 2020 you need to say safe <laughs> twice. Mm. um holiday whatever you celebrate or if you're not celebrating anything if you're just taking some time to chill out that is cool too um we know we never have a consistent sign off so yeah we'll just say happy holidays thank you for being here thank you to our guest adrian and um we'll see you next time bye-bye he's at the front door This is the end of our show, for now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out, and we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.